Episode 10 of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, the blessed beatmaker, Roboclip, a.k.a. Cade Call, the prophet of the gaming gods themselves, spread the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel simply by interviewing interesting and creative people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. And on this episode of the podcast, we have bass music producer Decay, or Dekai, depending on how you want to pronounce it. For reference, it's spelled D-E-K-A-I, a.k.a. Derek Page, joins Gaming Memories for our weekly sermon. Dakai is truly a prolific bass music producer with a one-of-a-kind sound. And if I was forced to try to describe his sound, I would say something along the lines of Skrillex, the band Tool, and Eckhart Tolle had a huge orgy. One of them got pregnant, spit a baby out, that made meditative music that was super bass-heavy that you could meditate to, or you could go to the club and rage to. That's Dakai. Make sure to check his music out. I will put all the relevant links in the podcast description. And on top of being an amazing bass music producer, he's also a really good drummer. And if you're lucky enough and you catch him, catch him at a live show, he might just be shredding drums along with his brother shredding on the guitar at the same time. It's a great show. Make sure to check it out. We'll be talking about some of the upcoming shows on the podcast, and I will put links to those in the description as well. And last but not least, by day, Derek is an actual bona fide genius, working heavily and making waves in the crypto cryptocurrency and crowdfunding spaces. He's basically just a genius all around. I had a great time talking to him. Make sure to check him out online. Give his music a follow. Give it a like. Give it a subscribe. Help him keep the lights on. And always don't forget to spread the good news of the gaming memories gospel. I promise you by my prophetic authority that the gaming gods will bless you by doing so. I say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost. Amen and enjoy the show. All right, we're recording, man. What's up? What's happening? Welcome to uh, this Get Super Nerdy and Talk About Nostalgia Stuff podcast, a.k.a. Gaming Memories. I'm, I'm really stoked because I know uh, you've played some video games in your day. Definitely. I have to give credit to video games for pretty much everything that I do. I mean, that's the source of creativity, right? That's, that's sort of why I wanted to do the podcast. I was just thinking about, like, what would I like to listen to? I was thinking about all the people that I've met over the years doing music, and pretty much everybody, I would say like in the upwards of like 95% of producers I run, ran into and interacted with, online or in person, everybody gamed. Mm, or grew up yeah. gaming. They may not be like hardcore in it now, but they grew up exactly. loving games. Yeah, I feel that. I think that probably a lot of my earliest memories of playing video games have to do with the music that was playing in them. Like, I still remember the Ninja Turtles theme song back on NES, for sure. That's, uh, that's one of the, that's come up a couple times. That game, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but first off, I've said this in multiple episodes, the fucking seaweed part with the electrical, like, you remember that part where you have to swim through, like, the electrical seaweeds? It's like, blood I don't know. You don't remember it? Because it ruined would, my life. I would hate to say that I remember that because... For me, my memories of that game were level one, <laughs> you know, running it's around a, killing some killing some early, foot soldiers. It's yeah. an early level. Like I couldn't, I was basically, I couldn't get very far in that game. That game was, 
It was hard. I don't know what they were thinking back then because people always talk about old school Nintendo games and how difficult they are, but they also knew a bunch of kids were playing these. Right. But, like, did they think we were all geniuses? Because those games were ruthless. That game in particular was ruthless. Yeah, I feel like that's something to do with pretty much all those old games. You know, three lives and then you're done. Or somebody comes up and hits the reset button and you're done. There is no save. <laughs> there is no save. Sometimes you get a code. On those NES games, you could get like a would get you sort of back to where you were. Huh. What year were that's you born? That's tricky. I know you're younger was, than me, right? Yeah, yeah. I was born in 90. So 90, I, okay. I caught a little bit of the NES wave. You know, I definitely had one of those. Had a Sega Genesis and... Uh, from those days on, pretty much. Sweet. Well, I know you, for just people know who you are, I know you from making music with Damson way back in the day. Uh, Definitely. The, the best way I've described your music to people, and I, th I think you'll take this as a compliment, I'll say, it's like, think of electronic ambient tool. Yeah, I like that. Yes. I definitely like that. I mean, it's not Especially. a perfect analogy, but your music is so hard to describe. That uh, that's the closest thing I could get to. That's uh, that's like one of the best compliments I've ever had about the sound of my music. I know you like sure. Tool. And speaking, oh of, yeah, all their shits on Spotify now, and the new album is finally, finally coming out. It is upon us. I know this is the day we've all been waiting for. There's a bunch of people coming out of the woodworks just ready to be blasted by it. I feel like it could change the world. Maybe it's going to just uh, change everything. Did you see? I saw some headline that was like. The first day Tool was on Spotify, it got, like, some absurd number of plays. Huh. Yeah, I did see some stats come up. Like, I guess Lateralis is now, like, the most downloaded album on iTunes. Yeah. Like, as of does, today or something. We've, we've, all these Tool fans have just been hiding in the darkness for, what, what has it been? Since 2006, right? It was when 10,000 Days came out? I think so, yeah. 13-year wait. And Woo! We'll see. But I definitely heard one of these new songs. I, I can't remember the names. They've been leaked a little bit, but heard one at the last live show I saw of them. And if that's what everything's going to be like, we're definitely in for a treat. It's going to be a yeah. good time. I had a guy on last night that was a big Tool fan, and he was talking about that same... Was, you went to the show at the Maverick Center, right? The most recent one? Yeah. Yep. Where were, you, one. where were you sitting or standing? I was in the absolute back middle, kind of like right in the middle of the I guess there's an upper level at the lower level, and I was in the middle of okay. the lower level. So it was so direct. Uh, it was actually probably the perfect spot to be as far as their visuals because the lasers and everything are pointed right at you. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. Where did he say he was at? He was, like, to the side in the corner, and he said he couldn't underst He couldn't tell one instrument from the other. It was just a wall of incoherent reverb and noise for two hours. And he's hmm. like, it was the worst hundred dollars I've ever spent. And he's a massive Tool fan, and I was like, dude, that's just because yeah. you sat in a. First off, stadiums are notorious. Like, I don't like seeing bands in a stadium. It's if you're in GA on the bottom, because I saw Perfect Circle and Mars Volta at the Maverick Center, but I was in GA in the middle, kind of hmm. straight on, and it sounded pretty good. But I had yeah. friends who were at the same show in stadium seating and said it was a terrible show. They couldn't hmm. understand anything. Yeah, it's funny you say that because now that I think about it, the sound probably wasn't that great. I think I was just so blown away by everything else. Like the visuals are just yeah. absurd nowadays. Uh, but the sound probably was pretty echoey. Uh, but definitely I went to a perfect circle that same year and was right up near the middle of GA. And 
sounded great. So yeah, has I to remember do with the venue for sure. I remember Perfect Circle sounding clean and clear and being like, "This is pretty good for a stadium. Like this yeah. sounds good." Yeah, yeah, that place is definitely. I mean, it's better than the first time I saw Tool. It was at the what is it? The Energy it's Solutions now. Now it's Energy Solutions. Yeah, yeah. Or it's changed again once again since then uh but yeah i think i think a lot of it has to do with reverb and everything but definitely if you can go see them live in the new tour they're doing with the new visuals it's just uh, it's literally the best show i've ever seen yeah i'm definitely gonna go and for we had a couple guests uh make some cracks about tool fans screw you guys <laughs> not all tool fans are created equal we had yeah, we had hayne on audio treats and he made a joke because he was playing some game at a friend's house and a crazy guy came up to him and was telling him to buy Bitcoin, like, way back in the day. I'm like, well, it's not really crazy because he was right. And uh, he just said he looked like a Tool fan. And I was like, hey, man, hey, man, not all Tool fans are crazy wackos, all right? There's a lot of us. And Spotify proved that. iTunes proved it. We've all just been yep. waiting. Normal-looking yep. people, but deep down, we love the Tool. Exactly. Yep. There are definitely, though, and I've started to see this being in the Facebook groups, uh, some more <laughs> is devoted the word because it's it, very enthusiastic fan base. Yes, they're they're making posts like I'm about to quit everything and <laughs> uh, completely just give up on life because Tool just announced their logo and I hate it. And so it's like, you know, I, I thought you were a fan of this group. Like you should yeah. be. You should be stoked about it, but they're just they're mad about every detail that they hear. So that's there, pretty interesting. There is a little bit of like a Maynard worship among yes. some of like those like he's a cool, interesting dude, but yes. people they elevate him to like a sort of prophet. Like it's weird. It gets really weird with some guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely another thing that I see a lot in those groups, but the thing that I've seen that comes the closest to it is the fan base of Bass Nectar. I don't know if you, you know what someone else said the same wind. thing. <laughs> they said yeah, it was the rock band version of Bass Nectar fans. Exactly. Except for I think that they're a little bit more friendly towards each other. There's not as many uh, kind of, I guess, just ongoing battles through the groups and things. But definitely there are the people who are there at every single show. You know, they, they tour the, the country essentially to see them. Uh, and for good reason, I would say that he's the second best show I've ever seen in my life, for sure. Hey, we've talked uh, about him before. I've tried really hard to get into him because so well, many people love him, but something just doesn't click for me. He has a handful yeah, of tracks I think that, that are the, strong the main... to me, but I know you love him, and I know a lot of people love him a lot. So yes. there's something there that I'm just I must be missing. It's uh, I think what it is is seeing him live. If you haven't seen him. At least at one of his own curated shows, because he might come for a festival or be a headliner at some show. Yeah. But if you ever go to him uh, to see him when he's actually putting on the show himself, that changes everything. Because now he's in his own arena. He's got his own lights, his own sound. Uh, and, yeah, I think that you would see what I mean if you tried in one of those ventures. Yeah, this is when you – for a bass artist, you probably need a lot of bass to, to... – my, an extreme my amount car, of bass. My yeah, car yeah. does not have an extreme. My 2003 Toyota Corolla does not have a lot of bass, unfortunately. <laughs> Time to upgrade. <laughs> Time to upgrade. I know. <laughs> I, I bought my wife a new car, and it's paid off, and it's a salvage title, and it won't die. Hmm. So I just keep driving it. I'm like, okay, it's going to die. It's got a million miles on it, but it just it's Toyota, baby. 
Just keep yeah. it going. May as well. Just keep it going strong. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know if you saw the video where he was in the news because they thought it was an earthquake. Uh, but that show I, I was did. at. And that shows so, there's some base going on. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't Red Rocks come out with some sort of rule now because of Base Nectar? Like they're limiting the, the DB volume of shows or something along the lines of that? Yeah, yeah, I hear it's now to a point of talking volume. I, I'm sad to say I've never actually been there for a show, but uh, it's not what it was, essentially. Because yeah. there's there's people that live all around that place, and of course they're probably getting rumbled the whole time. So just, They did get sick of it eventually. Yeah. But hey, there's there's more to be had. Definitely next time I, I go to one, you should come out. Where's um? So talk to me about this new space. You just got a new house, and then we'll kind of get into some gaming stuff. Definitely. Uh, just moved into a place over here in Murray, Mill Creek, it's like right in the line, uh, right next to my work where you've been. And uh, it's a pretty awesome setup. We finally have a house now where we can actually jam, really get into it. Got the new studio set up here. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next couple months of getting really creative and busting out the drums again. So what uh what people could people expect from you music wise and show wise so we can give you a little bit of promotion? Well, you know the I think biggest newest thing is getting all these lights and getting some live visuals set up, but also having live drums, which is something that you've definitely done. You were one of the first people I've ever seen do that here in Salt Lake. Uh, I think that the main thing for me is to bring out something more. Everybody's playing uh, sets in kind of the same ways. They're mixing tracks in the same ways. And uh, I think it would be really cool to be able to push the envelope a little bit and hopefully get some, some live elements other than Darius playing guitar, which he has been on the last couple of shows. By the way, I love the pictures of him. I haven't seen the setup with him playing guitar, but he looks like he fucking rocks out. The pictures yep. are always epic. His hair he's just... I love that sort of iconic metal long hair aesthetic, and I love game. Like speaking of games, do you ever play Brutal Legend? That sounds familiar. It's the Jack Black know. video game with uh, uh, Tim Cook, the guy that made Psycho Knox, uh, Double Fine Productions, and it's like this whole thing. You play this metalhead roadie that gets sucked into another dimension of like metal gods, and like Ozzy Osbourne is in it, and it's just it's just metal humor. And your brother, huh. man, when I see those pictures, both of you guys have metal hair, but he's just slaying the guitar, his face is like big old smile, hair flying, sweat. It just looks like a good time. Yep. Yeah, it's been definitely uh, changing kind of the energy on stage. As you can guess, you get, you know, it's just like at a rock show when you get up there and all of a sudden he's, you know, soloing to one of my tracks. Uh, everybody's just that much more excited, that much more into it. Uh, and it's been a really cool thing to kind of bring that out. It was just a long time coming. He's always been up there dancing with me and uh, kind of been like a hype man for me. Uh, but now with the guitar, it just adds that extra bit of mystery. and uh, It's really cool. And I then saw the one we did with drums, that really took it to the next level because then we were both playing at the same time. Which That's what I was going to bring up. I saw a clip, at least one clip of you playing drums. Is, is that something you do every show now or just when shows that make sense? That was one where the show made sense, yeah, because as, I don't know, most of the time I'm opening for a, a bigger artist, a, bigger a headliner, act, yeah. and I can't really just bring a drum set out <laughs> to <laughs> just be right goes. there on the stage with them. That's and, why you know. uh, I used to do it all the time until I started opening all the time, and then it was like, I can't do this, so I mm -hmm. guess I'll just do it, you know, a diff yeah, that's why I wanted to ask, because 
Because there is a little bit of weird, like, uh, I don't want to be a bigger production or a bigger spectacle than the opening artist. And especially now if you're bringing your own visuals. But I've always had the mindset, like, who cares? I mean, obviously, right. I'm not the guy touring and trying to make a tour profitable. Easy for me to say. I'm just a local artist. But uh, it just make the show more memorable for everybody. And they're gonna, they're gonna, they're not gonna make, they're not gonna think you suck because your opening act had a great set and people enjoyed it. They're just gonna associate positive feelings with going to your show, right? And also, yeah, it's, I, yeah. I think you're 100 percent right on that. I think there's probably uh, some element of hesitation on my part, but I don't know if that actually would carry through when I, if I were to do it. I just definitely don't want to be. <laughs> Uh, up there with the drum set, you know what I mean? And then having to move it out of the way or whatever it might be before the headliner gets Audio on. Audio Treats does it all the time. He brings a live drummer, a second person with a physical kit huh. to open. Huh. I think he yeah, brings I... it up with the promoter because there's been a few times where I know they've said no, but I think right. he just brings it up and if they say yes, then he goes for it. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the key. Just kind of ask the promoter, make sure they're all yeah. going to be okay with it. Don't surprise anybody. Uh, but definitely in the case of New Year's, I played right after the headliner. So uh, in in my perspective, that was the perfect time to bring out drums because then you can kind of bring things up a little bit more and go yep. a little bit harder. So that was cool. Yeah. Well, that's enough talk about music. Sorry for the people who aren't into music, but I've known this guy for a long time. He makes badass music. Decay. Thank it's you. It's like ambient tool. We have a semi-collab. I sent him some tracks. He's doing magic to it. I don't know what he's doing. If he finishes it one day, we'll have a collab come out. I heard a, I heard a WIP. It's dope. It's almost all dope because of him, but I would love to put my name on it. Regardless. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. And uh, uh, make sure you check him out. I'll put all his links and I'll record, you know, I record an intro before the podcast starts to introduce you. All your information will be on the description and all that stuff. But I wanted to get back. So, I had a guy on last night, the Tool fan, who's a visual artist. He does like concept art, and he's his name's Chase Henshin, and he's building like a whole like a a book of mythology, a lore, kind of remixing all the famous mythologies. He has his own creation story, his own. Anyway, he was talking a lot about how video. The only reason he does art, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons is video games, and that sort of influences everything he's done. And you said basically the same thing without me asking you at the beginning. So I kind of want to get into, like, first off, before we get into the games you remember, when you make music, how, how are you bringing in influence from video games? Is it like a system or is it just sort of kind of part of your subconscious and it's always bubbling up? Or are you using video games systematically for ideas? It's a great question. Uh, it's... You know, I've never actually probably tried to dial that down, actually, as far as where or how the inspiration occurs. But what I can say is, uh, first of all, I mean, the only way I even ever got into producing electronic music versus just, you know, playing drums or whatever, uh, was I needed music for video games that I was making. You know, so I was actually age like 12 or 13. I, I got a little mock game making program called Game Maker which still exists today. It's just in an entirely new form. And people uh, people have released some dope games on that with that engine. It's legit if you want to make 2D sort of indie games. Exactly. Yeah, and they even have 3D now. They've got multi-device, which they didn't have any of that back then. This was 2002, 2003. Uh, and back in those days, it was when it was called Game Maker, it was almost like a mock 
uh, programming language. So it, it taught me a lot. I actually have to give that credit for where I'm at today in my career. Uh, but basically, I needed music for these video games that I was making. And the easiest choice was FL Studio. Everybody in the game making community and on the forum was talking about this FL Studio program. Uh, so I downloaded it. I actually had a, a friend uh, who, through the community, had, had recommended me to it. And we started just passing stuff around and uploading them to Newegg. Turns out this guy, uh, years later, creates a label called Monster Cat. Uh, he went by Afixa back in those days and uh, produced a bunch of tracks under the name Afixa. If you Google it, uh, they're, they're huge, huge all over YouTube and everything like that. Some of the Zelda remixes and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's all part of this uh, kind of process of basically trying to think about a theme or a story and uh, uh, trying to write out that story in, in song. And doing that at first was not that easy. Back in the days of FL Studio, I was just making almost like trance kind of sounding songs. Mm -hmm. uh, and over the years, what I've realized is it's not the genre of music that I, I pull from video games. It's more the, uh, I guess, the different sounds and different things that kind of inspire me. Uh, cinematic sounding stuff really inspires me a lot. Uh, Final Fantasy, uh, for example, is one of the song, one of the games that has the songs that I've remembered the most over the years. Mm, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's hard to say really how I apply that, other than that if it makes me feel the same way as the video game music did, then I know I'm kind of going the right direction. You kind of yeah, so use it as sort of a sort of a, a target for feeling for vibe. Exactly. If, I, if, it, if it captures the magic that I feel when I've played these games, then I know I'm sort of on the right track, which makes sense to me. The, when I said that the tool, uh, ambient electronic tool, that that's a decent analogy. But what it's missing is that why well, it's not it's a perfect way to describe your music is yeah you have like really cinematic sort of I would say mystical vibe. It's bass music, but it's not a party vibe. It's like a meditation heavy. You're tripping, but you also want to be a better person. But it's also polyrhythm and kind of dark. Like I was trying, to, I was listening to a lot of Tool recently because of the Spotify stuff, and I'm like, how would you describe them? They're not metal. They're not really prog. They're like the best way to me is like they remind me of that one LSD trip when <laughs> I saw the Spider God and it showed me it showed me death and decay and maggots, but it wasn't dark and evil. It was like this is the cycle of life, and I saw all these fractals and. The spider god was looming over me and bounce like turning in neon and then realistic and then neon and I'm like it's that's they sound like that trip. I don't know how you mm. describe that. And you have not quite the same, but it's a very your music reminds me sometimes I'll get like really deep into like if I smoke heavy weed and meditate and do like breathing exercises, like heavy breathing and do like four or five rounds and you get just high on oxygen and you go you go to this weird place. It's not quite as dark as the Spider God, but it's still kind of like dark. That's where you're at. That's my best. Mm. That's my. That's my. Attempt. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think that the best thing I I could do to describe what I'm trying to do is take you on that journey. You know, if it, definitely there is the moment where I like to just kind of cut loose and make it sound fun and party esque, but I would much rather make somebody think deeply, you know, than not think at all. That new that new track you had with the I think it's the it starts with the didgeridoo and then you had the video or am I conflating two songs? You had a video that was like mirrored and some weird effects on it. 
Uh, the one before was didgeridoo. The newest one's like a kind of a Native American singing chant. Oh, that's what it was. Kind of yeah, thing yeah. in the beginning mantra. Sort of, where'd you get that from? Because I've I've uh, played with some Native American chants, things I've ripped off YouTube before, but never made it into a track I released. YouTube, definitely yeah. YouTube on that one. It was, uh, in fact, I heard it in my mind before I ever even tried to look for a chant. And then the first video that I had found happened to be exactly what I was looking for. It was even in the right key uh, and everything like that. And so all I did is I took that and I chopped it up a little bit to kind of rearrange the order. Yeah. Don't you love when you find something that like, it, you know, it's weird. It happens more often than you think it would happen. Every time mm -hmm. that happens, I'm like, what are the odds this thing just like works perfectly into what I'm trying to do? Like almost so easy. Like, and it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's uh, probably one of the best feelings that there there are. Nobody yeah, knows I that. Love that. But... <laughs> so you remember, I mean, when you first remember, you got a little bit of the NES, but you were born in 1990. And I think the Super Nintendo was released like 91 or 92. So you mm. might have got a year or two. Um, what what do you remember from NES? If is anything, or was it just sort of a you were too young to really make an impact on you? Man, I played the NES way beyond its time. I believe. Uh, I mean, I, I never really stopped playing it. So I remember uh, anything from the very first Mario, Super Mario Bros. to uh, Mario Three. Uh, there are some obscure games in there that I used to play a lot. One of them that comes to mind is called Uninvited. Uninvited uh, is, for NES? Let's look that up. I've never heard of it. Yeah, there's another game that's just like it, and I'm trying to remember the name. But it's basically, like, choice-based. So you're not running around or anything like that. It just shows... Bring your own phone. And then you have to decide, okay, I want to go in this room, or I want to open this drawer, or do something. And uh, Yeah, that game was awesome back in the day. And another one of the ones that definitely had some really good music that it, I kind of think back to. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's like an old PC kind of like dungeon. You just, I have never, dude, this is great. This is what the kind of shit that I want to hear. Everyone's so mm -hmm. different and remembers. I didn't even know this game. I didn't know there was even this type of game on the NES because these type of games were typically like PCs. Right. These games during that time. That's yeah, and crazy. I know there's, there's definitely one that's just like it. I think it's probably by the same game developer. I just can't remember the name of it where it's you're in a castle and this one you're kind of in a haunted house and it gets kind of dark. It gets really scary. I definitely remember as a kid not being able to watch through all of it. I think Darius, my older brother, was the one who actually beat the game. Uh, but yeah, that one was a really good one. Uh, so you started with some some kind of darker themes when it comes to games. That makes yeah, sense. It kind I of, guess I would say that. Yeah. I remember, you know, like the, the very first Castlevania always kind of seemed one. dark to me back then. Um, other other games, though, too, like uh, Little Ninja Brothers. I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody playing it. Little Ninja but... Brothers. <laughs> Ninja. I remember there was a game called... They made a game from Three Ninjas. But this hmm. Little Ninja Brothers, let's check this out. It's a good one. I've definitely never heard of this either. It has like kind of Japanese, like Pokemon style RPG. Yeah, yeah, it was like RPG style, and then you'd get into these little battles. Oh, I played this. Yeah, yes. I did play yeah. this. Yeah, there's, no, there's got it. There's a sequel to this. Maybe 
because the battle screen, I'm like, I've played, but I don't remember the game having an, a town and a world map. I wonder huh. if there's, like, Little Ninja Brothers sequel? Definitely, if you listen to the theme song of that game, I'll bet, I'll bet that would be familiar to you. No, I did play this. I just must not remember the, the like, overworld. Or maybe I sucked at it. <laughs> but I do remember... Come on, Ad, get out of my way. I do remember, yeah, this battle screen. Dang. Yeah. That's, yep. that's two new ones that no one's ever brought up. You're on a great roll. Yeah, the most, I think I, the most I think I, deep guess so far. I would guess I have another one. Uh, I think it's Little Nemo in Dream Worlds. Yes, that game. I didn't have it, but my cousin did. And I got to play it at my cousin's house. And I remember it had it gave me that, like, psychedelic feeling like what does she goes to this dream world and there was a mm-hmm. movie there was a movie attached to it and then the movie gave me that same sort of like what he goes to this world of dreams this is what was it, crazy is i never saw the movie not until i was way older uh but playing the game back in the day that that was what i associated with my little email uh and so many people over the years told me about this movie and i finally had to watch and i would say that it's it's pretty awesome over overall i remember this frog suit yeah 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 (laughs) damn dude that's so crazy that's what i like about the podcast it's like i would if someone interviewed me i would never remember that game but as soon as you brought it up i remembered it and then i remembered oh it's my cousin had it and i'll go over my cousin's house it's weird how memories sort of like can spark and remind you i feel like that's probably exactly what happened with me is my cousin had it too well great minds think think alike i guess or i guess great lives pattern alike i don't know you're frozen bro you still there yeah yeah you froze for a second too okay I'm here. sweet we got any uh, more of these uh nes gems yes um skate or die oh both, that was also my cousin yes skate or die that game was remember hard. skate or die too riding through the mall you'd yes. always see like <laughs> the taco stand in there and stuff yeah yeah, Skater Die had like different events, and it had the little like overworld screen where you'd skate to the event. It had half pipe. Um, there was one where you'd go down like an alley. Oh yeah, there's that, there's the alley one. I remember this alley one. Mm-hmm. Dang, I don't. I didn't know there was a Skater Guy too. Do you remember? But it is reminding me of. Did you play California Games? I don't think I did. Uh, it was kind of like that. It had skateboarding, rollerblading, frisbee. It was. Uh, I associate that game with Skater. I didn't know there was a second Skater Die. I need to look this up. Die yeah. Two. It just took things to the next level a little bit. I think there was like a big air jump and all kinds of different things. That was always cool. You know, that other game you were talking about, California Games, that sounds familiar. Yeah, California Games is a... Uh... Oh, this... I definitely didn't play Skater Die 2. This looks cool. Oh, it's got like... Like a battles room, I guess. It looks like they're fighting each other. Half pipe. Yeah, damn. So you were obviously, you had an NES growing up. When you were playing NES and you played it long after sort of its life cycle, it sounds like, did you get any other consoles or did you just have NES for a long time? You were just sort of behind the, the transition. I was lucky enough, actually, when I was uh, 
growing up, I, I can't even remember how old, my mom worked at a video game rental store. So Oh, uh, you got the jackpot. Yeah, so oh, baby. I think I was I think it was probably like five or six and I got a Sega Genesis. And that <gasps> yes. I probably played more, uh, I would okay. say, because I'm yeah, glad I Oh, I'm so glad because I haven't had a Genesis guy on. Everyone's a SNES guy, or maybe they skip that generation. And I, mm. I, I like worked my ass off, which I don't think it paid for the whole Genesis. My parents said if you save up eighty dollars, you can get a Genesis. And uh, Genesis came out before SNES, and I was exposed to some sort of marketing material, and I really wanted it. It worked on me, and I worked and worked and worked. And SNES had already come out, but I had set my sight on Genesis, and I had this little like shoebox that I made like a bank out of, and I drew the Sega on it and the controllers. And I earned the money, and I got Genesis and Sonic 2, and that was a big console for me. And, and when I talked to people, like people were like, oh, I played Genesis at my br- friend's house, and I remember like one or two games. And uh, mm. it's just, I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure you could look up the numbers, but it's pretty obvious to me that Genesis wasn't as much of a cultural impact as the SNES was, which is too bad, because those were great yes. games. A ton of great games. In fact, uh, for me, in my perspective, and I, I probably came from the same place as you, as I thought everybody had played it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I spent my life, you know, talking about Sonic the Hedgehog or uh, Streets of Rage was a big one oh. for me on that one. Streets, speaking Streets of, of soundtracks, Rage. Streets of Rage, all three of them, especially one mm. and two, are no are legendary video game soundtracks. In fact, Red Bull Music Academy just did a little mini documentary on the two guys that scored Streets of Rage 1. But... Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. You should watch it. I, I don't know their names because I'm terrible Japanese and I can't remember. Um, but I think if you just look up like Red Bull Music Academy, Streets of Rage, you'll find it. I watched... It's like 25 minutes. It was awesome. Uh, I have to watch that. Because, yeah, the definitely number two is one that I played a lot of, beat the whole game. I remember sometimes just going in the settings on those games back when you could just go in the settings and play the songs from every single level yep you know without even actually playing it and i used yep. to do that a lot uh another one that comes to mind to me is ristar or ristar yeah the star guy ristar people yeah people sleep on that game that game had some of the best music was a super fun game to play uh i mean i would play that game today still it was just really well made yeah, it's one of the best platformers, and it, it had, like, a very... Most Genesis games, from my memory, had a little bit more earthy color palette. But I remember mm-hmm. Rystar looking like having the same pop as SNES games, because I would always get shit from friends. As, like, we'd always talk about, what's better, Super Nintendo or Genesis? And the common mm-hmm. arguments was, like, Aladdin's better on the Genesis, or... My other ammo was Mortal Kombat actually has blood on the Genesis. You guys don't have blood on your Super Nintendo version. And Rystar was one of them. It was like when they would talk about graphics, at the time we didn't know how to sort of explain it as kids, but what they're really saying is like SNES has like more colorful kind of eye-popping games. And Rystar was one where I could be like, yeah, have you checked out Rystar though? Because that shit Hmm. is dope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Now that you describe it that way, it's it's actually very true. I don't think there's, you know, maybe Sonic the Hedgehog is pretty close, but there isn't there isn't a lot of games back in those days that had that kind of uh, yeah, Genesis, super just magical. Yeah, Genesis was more like a grounded sort of like I don't know how to explain it. Color palettes huh. are always more earthy. I remember like the X Men Genesis 
Um, that was a big one. Did you? Oh, I've been wanting to ask this. Two games. One, did you play uh, Vector Man? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was about to say that. Yes. I was about to say that one next. Fucking Vector Man. So that game was a big deal because uh, they both, uh, Donkey Kong Country and Vector Man both came out like the very tail end of both consoles' life cycles. And Donkey Kong Country is lauded as, and they were the innovators, but the reason Donkey Kong Country looked so cool at the time, for those who don't know, is they it was early on Silicon Knights, they started working with 3D graphics and 3D modeling, and they would use 3D models, they would animate them on supercomputers, basically, and then compress them down to just regular 2D sprites that would normally be like hand-done with pixels, but it was actually basically 3D renderings, and that's how you got that iconic Donkey Kong Country look. Well, the Genesis mm. answer to that was Vector Man, and the reason Vector Man was made out of spheres is it reduced the load on the animation. Everything was just a sphere, and mm -hmm. so they could do more animations and a higher variation of anim animations because they could pump out more renders. So Vector Man actually was a more detailed, animated, kind of like smoother, higher frame rate, more frames per animation, but it didn't get the same love that Donkey Kong got, but it got enough love. They released the sequel, but that game I remember so badass and really, really hard. Did you beat it? Because mm -hmm. I could not no. beat it. Yeah. No, I, I made it a couple levels in. Whenever I made it, uh, that game was more of just like a I'm gonna run and jump around and shoot at stuff and just watch all the cool, cool physics that they kind of built into it. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, the fact that he would light up when he fired his weapon, and you could see the light reflected on his body. Mm -hmm. That was an effect that was like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, you start the game and you can shoot at the Sega logo yeah. until yeah, it yeah, explodes. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Yeah, and then the, uh, uh, yeah, it's actually really crazy to hear about the, the kind of 3D innovation coming in then. So I remember there were a couple games outside of 3D modeling that they did, like uh, Clay Fighters. Clay Fighters was a similar concept, but instead of 3D modeling, it was Claymation. It was clay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That and was badass. That was also fun. Yeah, and I guess the, the same kind of concept comes in on the Mortal Kombat series back in those days. You're just yeah, taking a bunch of pictures of people. Pictures of people, yep. I think, yeah. what, I think what they did with Mortal Kombat is um, they would take a video and then reduce it down to like some stupidly small frame rate. Like, mm. You know what I mean? And then pick the frames that they wanted and freeze them. If you yeah. like that style, there's a game. Um, I could probably, let's see, digitize. I always can't remember. Digitized graphics, modern beat them up it's like i think it's called something of it's a streets of rage sort of like retro throwback something of rage beat beat them up streets of rage okay it's the same people who are making streets of rage 4 i forget what the studio is called let me look that up sorry streets of rage for dev so they're making one as, they're making, as we speak. so this same company made kind of like a fan game where they they uh like took just like videos of their friends like doing moves and they made like a beat em up with like the art style of mortal Kombat. but it's like nice. modern so it's like really clean smooth video um, huh. and then they got a deal to develop the new streets of rage 4 as far as the game engine goes and they and they hired a different company to do the uh, art style, lizard nice. Uh, and dot emu. Okay, uh, that's gonna be awesome. 
Emu Games. Uh, it's Lizard Cube. Game. I want to send you this link and get your reaction to it. Okay. Um, Streets of Rage 4, Wonder Boy. Damn it. Something, what is it called? Uh, beat Them Up Game with Digitized Graphics. Sorry, people. Normally I can find this game. Guardians of the Hood. Digitized Sprites. We'll see. Um, control F Rage. There's only two. Primal. Oh, but that reminds me of Primal Rage. Did you play Primal Rage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> that game was that meant a little bit later in the timeline, but they used that same uh, 3D animation concept and converting them to sprites. And remember, you could eat mm. the people. And the, yeah. monkey, the monkey farted and burped. And I just thought that was hilarious as a little kid. Yep. Yeah, I love that one. I think my, my favorite was the... I think he was just a raptor. But then there's also, that just reminded me of another game that I played a lot of called Eternal Champions. Yes, Eternal <laughs> Champions. That was a yep. Sega, I think that was a Sega-only fighting game. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen it since. Uh, really deep storylines behind every character, so that was really cool. Music was awesome. And you could do these, like, almost fatalities, but it was really hard to do. You had to time everything perfectly. Yes, that game. Uh, I can't remember if that game was like hand drawn, or that one was pixels for sure. Yeah, it was pixels. Why can why I cannot find this freaking game? It's, I found it like the other day, really, really quickly, and I can't remember what. Guard, maybe it's Guard Crush Games. Guard Crush Games. Streets of Fury, not Streets of Ah. Okay, Streets I found of Fury. It. So look up Streets of Fury on your on YouTube and just I'm going to pull up just like a random video. It doesn't matter what video. When you see it, you're going to be like this is badass. Cuz it's taking that same sort of Streets of Rage thing in Mortal Kombat style. <laughs> it's just it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Ah. Uh... Man, I've had this exact same thought. I know! I've had this thought, and then, like, someone did it, and it's, it's like, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> that punch. Pa! And they have, like, you all these... You can tell they had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, they have all these random, weird characters. And it's that same digitized sprite thing, but it's, like, decent video of a higher frame rate. And I think it uh, has a really cool aesthetic to it. I like, I yeah. like it. This is awesome. I'm jealous. Actually, a little bit mad. I know. I should have like, followed up on my dream. Speaking of <laughs> trying to make video games, I've been trying to teach myself how to do like just a 2D platformer in Unity. And uh, oh my god, is making video games one million times harder than making music. Like the barrier to yeah. entry is so freaking high. Like, ah, uh, it's just soul crushing. When you start to get into it and you realize how, like, even a small idea how much work it's going to take. And then I'm like, how do these dudes, like the guy who made Axiom Verge, single dude, made mm -hmm. it by himself. But I'm like, I did make it take him seven years. Iconoclast is another indie game that was a single guy. Hyperlight Drifter was like a small team. I can't, I mean, the tools to making games are getting better. Right. But it is still, it's not as accessible as 
other creative, creative, I guess, endeavors. Not even right. close. Yeah, I think we have to definitely be thankful for game engines these days. You know, Unreal Engine, Unity, uh, even the Game Maker program I used back when, which is now called Yo-Yo Games, which is what they use to make Hyper Light Drifter. That game is awesome, um, by the way. Yeah, 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 it is. And it's just one of those things. You have to uh, be prepared to spend 16-hour days, you know, and pretty much just be working in code and troubleshooting and bashing your head against the desk. Uh, but, yeah. It's not near it's as bad as making music. But I, I assume when you get to the – when you get my – I can tell if I got to the level of proficiency where I was able to start to even in a crude way actualize my ideas – I'm sure it would be very, very rewarding. But with music, yeah. it's like you have good taste. You have things in your mind. The first like three or four years, you can kind of make stuff. But it's I go I go back and listen to like my first album, and I'm like, my God, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong about this. But it's okay. That's how it happens. You can still you can still get to the point to like make something that's rewarding and release it, get feedback, and, and get on that sort of cycle of improving. With the game, to get to that first step, I was just when I was like playing around with Unity. I've done quite a bit of tutorials. I'm like just to like get a dude to walk back and forth and, and get all the collision and all the controls and all the like, just like the simplest things. Like this is gonna take me hundreds and hundreds of hours. The first time. I'm sure I'll get better with it, but it's just – it's a way deeper rabbit hole before you start getting rewarded, the creative, the creative rewards. And right. So props to all the people who make video games. That shit is hard, and thanks for making games that we yeah. enjoy because it is so hard. Yeah, I would say that uh, one of the probably things that you never expect about making a game is how much shit is happening that you don't actually see. You don't see you know, there's, exactly. There's, there's, there are collision masks and there are blocks set in certain places to trigger events and there are just things happening there that are just naked to your eye to make you're, it work. You're only seeing, it's like that, that, that very like cliche idea of the iceberg. They have like, there's always those success memes. Like you see yeah. success, but it's the same thing. Like you're only seeing like the top 10% of what's going on that's presented to you as the player. All exactly. the systems and everything behind it, and and that and you got into that. So during the Genesis time, so you got NES, then you went to Genesis, and that should you said around what age did you start playing games and wanting to make games, and what games sort of like sort of gave you that itch? Like I want to make games. There had to have been one that you know it, it was. I think part of it was probably getting into hacking games. So went from. Nintendo to Genesis to, uh, of course, 64, a lot of 64, and getting a Game Shark and stuff. It let me start kind of messing with the rules of things. I remember in Zelda, I was able to, like, make Link fly. Uh, And so as I was able to start hacking a little bit, and what I really started hacking the most was StarCraft and then Diablo, uh, I just really got into the actual game engine, how, how everything works. And just like you described it, you start by trying to create a game, and uh, it is it, to make something that is even playable at all, or even in any remote type of fun, is years, you know, years. before you get yeah. to that point. Uh, but definitely, I got to a point where I think one of the last games that I had made, it, I would say it's Mario inspired. Uh, it's just a little tiny guy, little pixel guy, because it's easy for me to draw. 
Yeah. Uh, and instead of you hopping on their heads, you've got a sword and you can stab zombies and ghosts. And I put in some Easter eggs so I can get a machine gun or a shotgun. And then you, can, <laughs> you can start blasting. But the game was so impossible. Like I made it that hard on, on purpose. So uh, it would actually be a challenge for me. And I made it pretty far. I made it as far as having, you know, a couple levels and then you actually get to an end boss, big skeleton dragon guy that you have to beat. A uh, bunch of hidden stuff in there and uh i may have to find my old hard drive and dig it up that would be that would be cool that'd be a cool little thing to dig up and play around with yeah for sure yeah so you, i would say at least a uh, hundred hours on that project by just itself. that one project alone I, yeah, yeah easy easy and how mm-hmm. many years did you play around with making games in game maker to get to that point uh like I said, I probably started when I was like 12, back when it was still just a kind of a basic program. And I kept doing that until I was like, I would say 18 or 19, on and yeah. off. A, sol- a yeah. solid run. That's a solid yeah. run, yeah. So you, sure. got, you got the – anything else on Genesis that sticks out to you that you have you a know, good memory with? Yeah, there, there are quite a few more. Uh, one of them that came to mind to me earlier – I'm going to probably forget what that was. It's okay. I took forever to look freaking fucking remember Streets of Fury. I got to remember yeah. that. This is like the 10th time that I've forgotten that game. So, I'll... Yeah. You're my no, witness. Uh, Streets of Fury. Remember it. Remember, remember. It's gonna Streets come up of again. Fury. We should make that Fury. game, by the way. I have a friend. Yes. <laughs> I have a friend that's, uh, you know, Todd Kuma Films? I think you oh, know yeah. Todd. So he's oh, yeah. like a ninja, and he does. Stu- he he was the first episode of the podcast. He does like uh, stunts for movies and B movies and TV shows, and he's got a bunch of homies that, homies that do stunts for like Hollywood. They were in the new Quentin Tarantino movie. He's got this whole crew of like martial artist masters, huh. and I'm like, man, if I could actually make a game, I could bring them in and, and do something like that, like make a. St- but uh, it's just such a huge project. It's like right. I, I love the idea of it, but I would have to give up everything else. Yeah. Besides, like maybe my job, and half I'd have to give up half my family probably to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty much say goodbye to your free time. Yeah. And sleep, uh, and your health in general, just because you you spend a lot of time drinking coffee and staying up until whatever time in the night. Uh, but yeah, I'm down. Let's uh, see if we can get Todd. If we all work together, we can make this happen. Yeah, we've talked about it a bunch of times. So, you, uh, yeah, what a. Um, um, did you play a game? I think it's called Cyborg Game Genesis. Um, this was probably my biggest game on Genesis. It was Cyborg Justice. Do you remember that game? Mm, I don't. Damn it. I keep trying to find someone that's played this game, but it's pretty badass. It's like uh, you could play. Um, let me just send you a little link to a video. I'll send it in the chat. I think you'd like it. If you ever want to go back and do like a, do you play emulators at all? Kind of play old school games? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's what I was about to say is where my journey led next. Yeah. So I, emulators, there's a lot of deep games that I'm going to go back and play some of the ones you brought up that I didn't know of. Um, but this is one that you might, it might be worth your time to go back and kind of play with. This looks pretty cool. It's so like each cyborg is made up of two arms, a, a torso, and a leg set. And as you kill guys, you can like take their parts and add them to yourself. And each arm <laughs> and leg has like different pros and cons. And 
depending on like the environmental hazards, you'll have to like sometimes there'll be a big like a big gap, and so you got to steal the legs that are good at jumping from an enemy. Hmm. And, and then sometimes there'll be like a wall that you can only smash with like the tank arm. So you got to find a tank arm from an enemy, and so the whole game you're like swapping out your parts and beating people up. And uh, I played a lot of this game. This, you know what this looks just like, and this totally reminded me of what I was going to say. I, I wonder if it's made by some of the same people, but uh, Battletoads. It's very similar to Battletoads, yeah. It's like kind of almost the same. I mean, it's a beat-em-up. Like, so Golden Axe, Battletoads, Streets of Rage. Yeah. They're all. But the art style does kind of, I oh, want Battletoads. Was Battletoads on the Genesis? I remember on Stepon. It was. Battletoads Genesis. I don't remember it on it. Let's look this up. This game looks awesome, though. I would have loved it growing up. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i come back and play this for sure. Mega Drive is... Was this on Genesis, too? Because this one's saying Mega I Drive. Think, I think Mega Drive is like the Japanese name for Genesis. Oh, okay. It was definitely on Genesis, or maybe it was, maybe they're different, and it was ported to Genesis later. Mm. Uh, but I, def, I only had a Genesis, and I this was like probably the game that I played the most out of all games in Genesis. There's something that's really uh, similar in the way that he grabs things and throws yeah. them, you know, or grabs items. And yeah, the Battletoads was a big one. I loved that game. Uh, also, uh, if I think back, even some of the, the games that they made out of movies, like Aladdin was really good. Yes, the Genesis uh, version was well known for being one of the few games that was on both systems that was better on Genesis. Hmm. Yeah, the, yes. uh, it was, they were, the SNES version was developed by like some Japanese company, and the the uh, Genesis version had actual Disney animators animate the sprites. And oh, so okay. That's why it was it was it was way better. It was a way tighter game. That makes sense. I think the yeah ABBA ABBA was the the cheat code back in those days. For just, for Aladdin, I don't remember that. Yeah, A B B A twice in a row, and you unlock everything. You were and, you uh, were you were cheating those games from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, them. I never had a Game Shark or a Game Genie. So did you get a Game Shark or a Game Genie for Genesis to start messing around? I did have a Game Genie for Genesis. Uh, I think that the coolest game I remember putting cheat codes into was Mortal Kombat Three. Back in those days, and what so could you, you do? Could, I'm I'm trying to remember, but it it would pretty much let you just mess with all the the game engine settings. Uh, but there's probably a bunch of stuff. There's so many cheat codes for Game Genie that it, the list would be huge for every single game. Yeah, I remember. Oh, so like let's see, Ultimate Mortal Kombat Fatality. You could swap fatalities. Yeah, you could turn on like single button fatalities. So you just hit the button. Instead of having to actually do the sequence. Yeah, like uh, there's a video of Luke Kang doing the Sub-Zero's fatality. Huh. Yeah, and I think using one of those, I finally figured out how to do an animality, which was the hardest thing to pull off. Did they uh, have on, animalities in... Oh, yeah, Mortal Kombat On number three. three. Yeah, yeah, for sure they did, yeah. Yep. Yep, you have to show them mercy. They come back to life for a second, and then you have to do the sequence. It's really crazy. Uh, I definitely never figured out. Like once it got past Mortal Kombat two, I sort of stopped playing. Like, but I remember watching. Like they got babalities. They have friendships, animalities. They had. A, yep. They started getting crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
and I just barely got the new Mortal Kombat. It's cool to see how far heard, it's come. I heard it's actually really good. It is. Yeah, it's engine is as clean as you could probably ever get it, and the story mode is actually pretty awesome. I need I need to actually play it again. I've only gotten actually once to sit down and do it, but yeah. Then I, if I think back, pretty much after. Sega, of course, there was the N64 phase, and I think everybody knows uh, Ocarina of Time, probably one of the best games. One of the best games. For N64. Hey, I got to go pee real quick. If you want to talk about Ocarina, or you can hang and we can just cut it out, or you can riff on Ocarina. Um, that's a big one, though. There's only been one guest so far, which was, you know who I, I think it was, don't quote me, I'm pretty sure it was Robo Rob. I did mm. him, and I was really surprised. He's like, yeah, I didn't get into Ocarina. I'm like, what? Of like, all people? What? what? I, I thought that would have been a Rob game for sure. <laughs> no yeah, way. Yeah. I think I've it, heard him use those samples. I know, but I think he got into it. I might be conflating him with another. Now, there's been, I have a huge bank of guests. Like I can't rem- I'm starting to mix people up. But I'm pretty sure it was him because he didn't get into – I did him like last week. And what was interesting – he didn't really get into like hardcore gaming and like and nerd culture until much later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it was like I think you want to say it was like after he did the military thing. Sorry, Rob, if I'm conflating you with somebody totally different, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure that he didn't do Ocarina, and he started with like Wind Waker or Twilight Princess. It was hmm. it was in- anyway, but that game's huge. Other than him, I think everybody is basically brought up ocarina of time yeah it is it is probably the the game that really like made me start thinking about you know i want to i want to make games i want to do this kind of thing so it's just so expansive you know it's the first game of its of its type in that way sweet uh i'm gonna go pee real quick sorry i drank like three beers so you're good i Ah! actually need a beer i'm gonna go get a beer go get a beer we'll cut it out Dude, you look yeah. you looking jacked, bro. You've been lifting some weights. No, <laughs> I've been slacking. If anything, I've just gained a bunch of weight. But hey, I'm coming back. Hey, you wear it well. No worries. Thank about you. It. Thank you. How's so, your gym? Gym life been going? How's what? My gym life? How's your? Yeah. Uh, I, same as it's always been. I like working out. I work out really hard, and quite often. But I eat terrible. And so Damn. I kind of end up being just like an okay health. Uh, I mean, mm. I'm, obviously it's better than just eating terrible and not working out. But uh, right. I just I just like to eat, man. But I've, I've been doing a ton of jujitsu, a ton of weightlifting, quite a bit of cardio. Like the jujitsu has uh, been like total like taking over my life. It's part of the reason why I have a bunch of songs done. You've heard some of them. And I keep like wanting to clean it up and finish, but just every, most nights I'm going to jujitsu. The podcast has sort of pulled me away from it, but a ton of grappling, which is a great workout. Right. A fair amount of weightlifting. I've been doing a ton of sauna. I do the sauna like four to five days a week and stretch. Try to do 20 yeah. minutes. Um, because I sit in a chair all day too. That's the other problem. Right. Aside from my hobbies with jujitsu and working out, my all my other hobbies and my work, I just sit in a chair, which is terrible for you. Mm-hmm. I feel but that. You work it's right there. better than doing construction. Yeah, I work here at home in the same spot. Yeah. Hmm. So I spent uh, a lot of time in this exact same seat. Hell yeah. But it's the all right. Station. I, lo- I love my room. I love my I love my battle cave. So 
Oh yeah. Yeah. You uh you don't happen to have a risable desk, do you? I do not, which is I've thought about, but the problem is is my setup um it would require a lot of sort of reorganizing to and it's expensive. So what I have been doing to try to combat just sitting is every out two hours, I'll do like 15 to 20 minutes around the block, listen to a podcast and just get a little bit of walking in. And then I'm also oh, yeah. taking a break to lift and then I'm doing jujitsu at night. Um, and sometimes when I don't have a podcast or I can't sleep, I'll walk more at night. Hmm. It's great. And uh, it's kept me like in semi health and I'm pretty strong, but man, I could, I could lose. I'm probably like, I could lose like twenty pounds, hmm. and not lose any muscle. Like I'm, a, I'm definitely. I can't. When I was younger, I could just work out all the time and eat whatever I want, and I'd stay lean. Hmm. Doesn't work the same anymore. I actually, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to learn how to dial in the eating. I'm coming into that part of my life. Yeah. I feel like it's all of a sudden happening. <laughs> yes, and yeah, I definitely have noticed. Yeah, it's yeah, sucks. yeah. Get, getting close to that thirty one, and all of a sudden, life's just not the same. It didn't really hit me till like 32, 33. Huh. I was still okay. Like 33, like the last year, I'm 34 now is when it's like, man, I'm doing all this. I'm actually working out more. I'm in sort of in some ways in better shape than I've ever been. I'm stronger than I've ever been. I do way more grappling. My car, my cardio and my sprinting and my explosiveness is all good, but I'm just getting fatter. Huh. Well, it's just, yeah, man, I got to clean up the, I mean, this typical American, American diet. I eat decent most of the time but you have to eat decent like almost all the time for for it to as you get older you got to work out a lot and eat you can't when i was younger it's like you could eat bad almost all the time if you were working out i need to stay mm-hmm. you may have like an upset stomach or something if you just like <laughs> when i think about what i ate in college how do i not have cancer <laughs> just like Taco Bell, Wendy's. I'd go run. I'd run every night, just get super baked and go run all the time and just eat Wendy's and Taco Bell and lift and just put garbage in my body and work out all the time. And so my poor body, I don't know. It's probably just karma now catching up to me. I feel that. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I've just moved right next to the gym. So that's a good thing. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming yeah. back. So Ocarina of Time, um, that's a big one that people bring up. So what I've been trying to do to sort of keep the conversation fresh, if anyone's a repeat listener, is uh, what moments in that game stick out to you the most? And and what do you have a story? Like, for example, Ocarina of Time is the only game that I can think of that I was willing to wake up early before school to play. I would wake up at like five in the morning to try to sneak a couple hours in because I was so in love with that game. The only other thing that ever did that for me was I'd wake up early on Sundays to watch Dragon Ball Z because that was the only time you could get it. So (laughs) for you, Ocarina of Time, such a big monumental game for so many people. I like to hear like what what stands out to you because for everybody it's different when you actually get into what parts of the game – have the strongest memories, you know, whatever it is, 20 years later. Definitely. Uh, I think that similar, you know, was one of those things. It was the first time uh, I've really tried to stay up all night. And this was modeled after my older brother because he uh, <laughs> he brought the game over the for, for the first time. So I've never seen it before. He comes over with it uh, and he literally did an all-nighter. So I fell asleep and woke back up and he was still playing. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. I want to be able to 
pull an all-nighter and play a game. And so definitely was the first game I ever tried that with. And I think that one of my favorite, I guess, kind of thoughts about that game is the big Goron sword. You know, yes. it's a pain in the ass to do that process. It's just but... super pain in the ass. And you get like the fake version first that breaks. Yep. You're like, what <laughs> the fuck? I was yep. all excited. And then it lets you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And always wishing you could get it to not break, but it does no matter what. And like, uh, just things like that, I think are my favorite part of Zelda is that there were a lot of things outside of the requirements that you could do. You know, you yes. could, if you want to go do these things, you can, but you don't have to, to beat the game. Uh, and so that was, was the first time I ever really got into doing those kinds of things. And uh, it, I guess that kind of goes into all of the different Zelda games and RPGs. And after the days of Zelda, um, not to not to just immediately jump off to another system, but I actually kind of backtracked. I all of a sudden learned how to download emulators, and then I started downloading PS One emulators. Games? Not never PS One because I could never what? get the emulator to work. Oh, man, not was, once. Because that's not my, once. That's my glory console. That's like my glory days was PS One. But uh, I'm also surprised that a lot of people didn't get into PS One. I mean, I know it was a very successful system. It had a retarded amount of games. A lot of people right. did. But I've been surprised that basically no one I've interviewed was like deep into the PS1 like I was. I like the PS1. I feel like I only I played it only when I rented it. Not even that I had a lot of friends that had them. I just uh, I would go save up all the money I had and I would rent it for the weekend. And yeah, yeah. Play whatever games I could. And I remember there's a skateboarding one. It's one of the first ones I played. Uh, Tony Hawk. Not Tony Hawk. No, this one was was like the only other game like Tony Hawk that existed at that this, time, I think. Uh, skateboarding game PS1. There was, was a really few. hard. Yeah. Thrasher. Thrasher. Was it Thrasher? It was Thrasher. Thrasher presents skateboarding because there was also I believe that was the first one I ever even rented skater. on a PS1. Street Skater was one I played and also Two Extreme. I played too extreme quite a bit, but Thrasher I did. Let's look up some gameplay of Thrasher, because that's a uh, most PS One games I'm pretty aware of, but not this one. Dang, yeah, I've never heard of this. You keep coming out with the gems, baby. Oh, my internet is being um, my internet's being lame. Internet's being lame. Coming back. You're back. back. I'm back. Okay, yep. sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, Thrasher does look a lot. Did this come out before Tony Hawk? I, I don't know. I feel like it may have. I feel like I probably played it before I played Tony Hawk. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never heard of this. There's definitely a few other ones that I saw too extreme, but it also has a first-person view I saw in a couple clips, which Tony Hawk hmm. didn't have. Right. Dang. So you went from – you got 64 – and then you backtrack to SNES or, or emulators? I actually just backtracked to everything I could download on emulators, which was okay. like, so N64 was fun and getting into the realm of 3D was really cool. But once I got the access to download emulators and ROMs, I was all of a sudden playing Nintendo games again, Sega games again, and then even into some other consoles like Game Boy. It's when I very first played Pokemon, for example, and oh, okay. played all the way through that. But uh, yeah, that 
that whole uh, time in my life was kind of just led me to play all the different games that I always wanted to play, uh, including Super Nintendo. And one that comes to mind to me is called Seeking Densetsu. Oh, the first uh, Secret of Mana, I believe. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or like the Legend of Mana. It was like a follow up, but it was never yeah. actually released in the U.S. Yeah, Seeking Dekensu, whatever that is. I think that's the Secret of Mana two, which just got released on Switch. It was the first like now it's like mm-hmm. officially released. Yep, um, it did. It did. I was super stoked to see that. And that game is incredible. I mean, it's it's pretty much like Final Fantasy, but. Uh, in 2D RPG form. Yeah, it's more like kind an of. action RPG. So did you go back and play Final Fantasy, like some of the greats from SNES? This is definitely one of them. I also played this on emulator because I played, uh, I did the similar thing. I didn't have a Super Nintendo, I had a Genesis. And when I got into PS1, I got into RPGs. I didn't get into mm-hmm. JRPGs on the Genesis. Like There was Fantasy Star, there wasn't a bunch. But on mm-hmm. PS1, I got deep deep into like every jrpg basically that existed on genesis or excuse me ps1 i played and so that made me retroactively go back to the snes because i heard about all the legends that sort of led to the games i was playing at the time secret mm-hmm. of mana was one of them and then i played second how do you say densu on an emulator and i played all these on emulators too did you play any of the final fantasies on snes you know i had played them a little bit but i never really got as far as i did with seeking den Seeking okay. Densetsu or Seeking Densetsu? Yeah, Seeking Densetsu for us Americans. Yes, yes, Legend or whatever. And it's it's one of those things that uh, I remember playing them. Like whatever Final Fantasy it was where you start out on the ship and you're just sailing across the ocean and can't even remember your bet. Uh, yeah, those those games are all really awesome and they were really fun to play. I just never actually took the time to get in and, and really you know try and beat them. So what sticks out in this time of going back and playing emulators, what sticks out the most? You know, that game was one of them, definitely. Uh, but if I if I had to think back, I think the thing that I mostly uh, tried to emulate were Game Boy games. You know, yeah. I definitely really liked the Pokemon series back then because uh, that one was it was different. It was an RPG, but it was, you know. The, the battles and everything about it were different. It was really fun to play. Um, and then, yeah, just pretty much being able to relive all of my early, early childhood memories yeah. playing you know, Sonic and Knuckles and all those different ones. Um, on 64, is there anything else that stuck out to you besides Ocarina? Uh, of course, GoldenEye 007. Yep. That's a very common one. Remember the bullet decals? In my memory, that's the first time there was bullet decals in a wall. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's so detailed. You can see the bullet holes in the wall. Right. I yeah, you'd, like, draw your name with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember playing around with that all the time, trying to, yeah. There's that whole mechanic. Yeah. That game, definitely. And what I would recommend to anybody if they want to go back and play it again is beat the entire game without cheating on what is the hardest mode, like, 007 mode or something. Yeah. Special agent. Uh, It's actually one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And I was finally able to get through all of the levels except for the last one. That last one on the freaking satellite bay, whatever, and you're chasing that guy around. That was so hard. That one, that one wasn't the true last level though. Oh, that was, there was the moon, right? The spaceship. After uh, 
Yeah, yeah, it's like a, a pyramid thing with Yeah. Yeah, it was like uh it was like the temple essentially, but yeah, that place was really hard. There's all these automatic weapons around them that kill you instantly. Uh but that one was really fun. If I think back there's some of the ones on N sixty four that definitely stood out, like Conquer's Bad for a Day. Do you do your parents let you play that? Because my parents yes. were uh, hell no on that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somehow I was lucky enough to be able to play that. We played a lot of the multiplayer mode, and it was awesome. A lot of fun uh, on that one. Um, I think it was one of the first games I ever played where you're like actually able to blow each other up into little bits. Yeah. Or like shoot somebody's head completely off. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty intense. But um trying to think yeah there was like uh uh what is it something quest quest 64 quest 64 has been brought up a couple of times i didn't play it but i remember i was into jrpgs and that was like the first one that rpg ish zelda ish game that came out on 64 to my memory but i thought it looked a little too kitty but apparently it's good a lot of people have brought it up and, and uh it has Really good reviews too. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very Final Fantasy esque, but a uh, little different of an engine. And I feel like the that game was actually pretty hard. My brother beat it. I never actually made it as far as beating that one. Uh, but yeah, I definitely liked that a lot. Um, so you you said that Final Fantasy music really got you. When did you end up playing, like getting into a Final Fantasy game, and which one was it? I think that the first one was Final Fantasy VII and wasn't able to really play it a whole lot, but uh, playing Final Fantasy VII just kind of got the doors open for it. Yeah. And then Final Fantasy X, I think, is the one where I really played it and just really loved the music. I know the game itself, compared to the others, doesn't hold up as much, but for me, that one was probably my favorite just because of the music, because of the, the story. It was the first like full 3D yeah, this, Final uh... Fantasy. So each Final Fantasy, each generation has like the one Final Fantasy that brought in new Final Fantasy fans. So you have the, the original Final Fantasy on Nintendo, which did well, but it's really old and it was really hard. As a kid, it was way too hard for me at my age. Like I made the, I don't know if you played the, the very original one, but you can pick your classes in the beginning. And the game like doesn't stop you from basically picking a party that will make the game impossible to beat later on. Right. So at the very beginning, like fighters were always the strongest. So I'd just pick a party of all four fighters, and I would wreck everybody. But then you get to points in the game where there's enemies that can only be killed by magic, and, hmm. and it breaks the game. You can't progress. And yeah. um, so then, and then on Super Nintendo, Final Fantasy three or Final Fantasy six, if you're talking Japanese, was like the big one. It brought in a lot of new people. And then Final Fantasy seven was probably like the first time. Final Fantasy really started becoming more than just like a niche thing, part of pop culture. It was a huge Final Fantasy. And then actually Final Fantasy X, because it was the first PS2 Final Fantasy, like you said, first fully 3D, first voice acted. Um, mm -hmm. That's a big Final Fantasy for a lot of people. And some people don't think it holds up very well. I have mixed feelings on that game because I had played all the Final Fantasies up to that point, either retroactively or when they came out. And I wasn't, I didn't like uh, the main, like, I thought a lot of it was really campy and cheesy. Like, I hated the fact that the main character 
wore overalls with like one overall off. <laughs> I was just like, he looks like a pussy. Look, no offense, he don't have to be a big buff guy, but that's what I had been like. I I had been conditioned to like like a certain type of protagonist, hmm. and uh, he wasn't that, and so. That was a big deal, and that the voice acting was it was cool, but at the same time, the implementation was a little. Cl- it was the first time they'd done it, and I don't know how they fit all that data on a bunch of PS2 dicks, uh, discs. Excuse me, not dicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but somehow they figured it out. They figured it out. It's a lot of data for one dick. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of data for one dick. So I think that's interesting. It's. I think you're the. Fourth, third or fourth person that Final Fantasy X was the one that sort of got them into the franchise. Yeah, I, I think that probably has to do with the the timeline too. I mean, seven was awesome, but I think that by the time I had played it, uh, it was the dated. graphics were yeah. yeah, the graphics were a little dated. Or actually, no, the first time I played it was brand new, uh, and then it was just really hard. You know, because I was yeah. so young, and it was took a little bit more mind power than what I had at that time. But yeah, definitely, if I think back, you know, Final Fantasy X, the music in that one is probably the the thing that got me the most on the music end. And then everything that they've released since then is just ridiculous. Like the newest Final Fantasy, which I have not beat. I think it's fifteen. Fifteen. Can't yeah. even remember. It's uh, that one. That one is awesome. Like the. The, uh, what they can do with the graphics and everything like that just blows my mind. The battle, what I what I do like, I have mixed feelings on that one as well. But the battle system and how you can like warp and, and yeah, like, like teleport and how action and stylized it definitely captured something that's come up on a couple of past podcasts. I don't know if you got into anime at any point growing up, but for me, Japanese animation had this sense of stylized action that you couldn't get anywhere else. Right. Um, and uh, Final Fantasy fifteen was the first art, like Final Fantasy RPG to sort of capture that in a battle system. Whereas previous battle systems were really turn, you know, turn, press X, he goes, then it's his turn, it's his turn. And when I was younger, I, could, I had the patience for that. But as I've gotten older, I don't. So I do like that about Final Fantasy fifteen. There's a lot of like hardcore JRPG people who are like, oh, just stick back to the... To the traditional turn base. I'm like, yeah, I don't have 60 hours to sit and click X and do nothing. Right. I need something a little more engaging. All right. I'm actually happy to try to make this more involved. Quit bitching. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that gets me is when you're just trying to run across the field. Yes. And it's like random encounter. You, yep. Another encounter. And it just yeah. keeps on happening. You take five steps. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely liked that about their battle system. I think also the. Uh, summons and i never made it as far as getting one of these i just watched my brother do it and there's those big are they aeons in the new one as well uh in final fantasy 15 yeah i think they're they're like these aeons maybe yeah i know what you're talking about god type creatures and the scale at which they can show those in that game is yeah mind-blowing i also Uh, like when you i don't know if you had this happen when you run around at night you get those ships that come in the air and they drop they drop soldiers and the aesthetic of it being at night and having spotlights from ships above you fighting, I thought was like really, really cool looking. Yeah. The scale on, I think Ramu's the lightning God on final fantasy 15. And like he comes in and he scorches everything with lightning. And when you, when you reappear, all the grass is like burned and scorched with the attack hit. Cool little hmm. details in that game. Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a crazy thing that they're going to be able to take that to the next level Yeah, with this PS5 thing coming out. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, when it comes down to those types of games and speaking of like fighting systems, uh, PlayStation was more like the, the uh, I guess, console that really got me into all that stuff. One of them that I actually did emulate was Dragon Ball GT. Dragon Ball GT. So I'm very unfamiliar with Dragon Ball games. Let me look this up. Is that a fighting game? Like a, yeah, it was just like a fighter. And it was awesome. And this was PS2, looks like? I think it was maybe even PS1. Oh, there's also like a series called Dragon Ball GT PlayStation. Maybe GT Final Bout? Oh, it is PlayStation 1. Yeah, Dragon Ball GT yeah. PlayStation 1. Yeah. Let me check this bad boy out. See, the thing is, I don't think they even ever released that here. So I ended up having to hack my PlayStation 2, have a, a piece soldered into it. Oh, so you you jailbroke a PS2. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just so I could have this game, particularly. And uh, actually, you know, I don't know if this is the one. Is it PlayStation 2? Because the one I played is 2D. I'm seeing it here. But all the screenshots I'm seeing are like 3D. 3D, yeah. Dragon Ball. It could have been... A different PlayStation 1 game. I'll just do Dragon Ball PlayStation 1. Let's see. My internet is just being lame. Maybe this was it. Maybe it was in 3D. I, I really do not recall that, though. Did you ever play a game called... It reminds me a little bit of the art style of Tobal 1. It's a Square Enix fighting game, Tobo 1 and 2, on PlayStation. No. Bummer. No, you that like sounds it. familiar. So you, you got a little into PlayStation, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so right around this time, I had my PlayStation. I did, yeah, we pretty much had to send it to somebody to have them solder in that piece, and then I was able to kind of hack that a little bit to make it work. Uh, but I played a lot of, like... I would say, like, the, the Tony Hawks that came out on that. The snowboarding games. What was it? Sean Sean Palmer's Pro Snowboarder? Sean White, I think. Uh, I think Sean White was in it. Sean Palmer? I think. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sean Palmer, Pro Snowboarder, PS2. I don't remember this. Pretty much the equivalent of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Exact same controls, but you're on a snowboard. It was awesome. Wow, yeah, I don't remember this. It was a that's, good one. That's pretty cool. It kind of reminds me a little bit of 1080 on the 64. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 1080 was a I good didn't, one. I don't remember this one. Dang, yeah, this looks fun. I remember SXX on PlayStation 2. I played a lot of SSX. Yeah, SSX like, Tricky and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, those those were definitely some of the staples, and that's how I got into Final Fantasy X was on PlayStation 2. Um, and, yeah, and I pretty much just kept that until PlayStation Any, 3 came out. I was kind of sold after that. Anything on PS2 that sticks out? Um, 
you think. There were so many games that I played on that one. It's kind of hard. Nothing that really sticks out super hard. I would say that the one that I probably played the most was between the Final Fantasy and a Kingdom Hearts series. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts. Did you play the new Kingdom Hearts? I did. I just barely beat it. And how do you ago. feel? Um, I feel like I missed a lot of stuff in between. You did, you know, all the different <laughs> chain chain of memories, chain of and all memories, those different birth, life, sleep, two point five. Yeah, it it got crazy. I yeah. uh, I bought the collector's edition of that game at launch, pre-ordered it, and I made it like five hours in, and I just felt so let down, and just I don't know the hype. It's just. It felt like a PS2 game with kind of a nice paint job. Hmm. Like it, like I have PS4 Pro, and the fact that even on performance mode, it was like was really choppy. The frame rate was really inconsistent, and hmm. I was like that bothered me. And like the writing and the voice acting was so I don't remember. Maybe Kingdom Hearts One and Two was that bad. I was just a lot younger. That's probably true. Hmm. But like every time Donald spoke, I just wanted to like punch myself in the face. I couldn't do it. I made it all the way to the Toy Story world, and I beat the Toy Story world, and I just like I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. Mm. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I definitely I sensed a little bit of that, and you just got to kind of push through it, you know. <laughs> Endure to <laughs> the, the end. Be the a real fan. Yeah, it's the best thing I can say. But uh, without knowing everything that happened in between, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. You know, how I feel about the the story itself. Gameplay was pretty awesome. There's some cool things about the different keyblades and stuff and uh, different moves and shit that you can do. But, yeah, when it comes down to it, I would love to understand how we got to that place in the timeline. I watched a couple, I watched a couple recaps. Uh, one in particular was well done, but it was like an hour and a half trying to basically recap all the games and all the characters and they had like charts and graphs and the fact that they like the Xeno Heart guy, the main the main bad guy, who my kids by the way, I don't know the the new generation loves to watch games and not play them. My kids have watched all the Kingdom Hearts. There's like a super cut on YouTube of all the Kingdom hmm. Hearts games with gameplay and cutscenes. And hmm. over the course of like a year they have watched through the whole series. And they love it. They freaking love it. And they know they're like, oh, that's Sino Heart. He's the bad guy. He's also he has a younger version, and he possessed this guy. And I'm just like, how? What? I can't. Uh, but I, like little, they're exposed to it at a young age. It makes sense to them. But I watched a recap video. I like I said, I pre-ordered that game. I prepped myself because I didn't. I also didn't play any of the handhelds. I didn't play Birth mm-hmm. by Sleep. Didn't play Chain Memories. I didn't play like. Whatever PS4 remastered, the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 came out and it was like three games in one. I didn't do any of those. And so I watched all this recap stuff. I still didn't know what was going on when the games, when I finally started playing Kingdom Hearts 3. And uh, gosh, I don't know. I wanted to like that game so bad. And I just, I felt like the collector's edition was also a total ripoff. It was $40 extra, it was 100 bucks. And it was a metal case. With the art book that had like four illustrations in it. It was like the flimsiest, smallest art book ever. And the cheapest like plastic figurine. Like that's what I got for 40 extra dollars. I don't know. Mm. I love Square. I, and, and I have a lot of fond memories. But 
Ah, that game just gives me, this makes me angry. Uh, that is, uh, that is the thing, man, is you, when you have a game that has so much anticipation, so how much can anticipation. you ever, there's really you know, no way. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but, but the tool album is going to fall to the <laughs> Right. No, it's going to be amazing. It's going to change the world. All of a sudden there's going to be world know. peace. And, uh, <laughs> I think you People sent me a, you sent me a link or it was you or someone else. Somehow it got in my mind. I think it was actually an article I was reading on Billboard where someone was sitting in on the mixing sessions and they said it was Tool, but much more um, cinematic and ambient. There's still heavy parts, which I like. Like hmm. I'm, I'm, I, That makes me excited. But I could see a lot of Tool fans not – if that ends up what's happening – but when I think of like my favorite Tool songs, because it's, they've been on Spotify recently, I've been just blasting through them. For me, it's either Anima or Lateralis, the two albums that I think have the most consistent where I don't skip tracks. And specifically, right. Lateralis, I know that's the one that hit me big as a kid, but yep. it's the juxtaposition. It's not just heavy all the time. You have these like psychedelic kind of weird ambient sections and then these heavy sections. Like I love on the grudge the dun 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 then goes the trip us boom and it cuts and it's just that bass riff. Just the bass by itself. Like that's what made that album great to me. And if they do more of that, I'm gonna be happy. But there's a lot of tool fans that love the older just sort of like chug and heavy all the way through. And screams and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely, uh, with this one, because when I saw them play live last, they played one of their new songs without the vocals. And there's definitely space. Yes. That's all I, I will tell you. Good. So I like that. Prepared. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I do with my music. I, I go for the same thing. But yeah, anyways, sidebar. Uh, no, you're right, though. That's I am nervous about the Tool album because... For so long, I just thought it was never going to happen. Right. It's just like, it's just the band's dead. We're never going to get new music. And you'd hear things and blah, blah, blah. And then Keenan went on Rogan like a couple years ago. I don't know if you listened to that, but anything tool related, I'm like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. And he talked about, I guess what happened is they got in a lawsuit mm -hmm. with their insurance company that was supposed to protect them from lawsuits. And it turned into this weird, like crazy thing. And it took all these years and, I think he said that they've had a lot of the songs in some form sort of written this whole time. Right. They, co they couldn't really move forward and complete them and record until the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's probably, you know, bits and pieces that people have heard at shows that they just don't realize that they're yeah. hearing. Yeah. And another thing about Tool, which is amazing, is when you see them live, they do things in the songs that you don't, you've never heard before. You know, there's always they a don't live just play the CD, version, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you've ever heard the live version of Stinkfest, it it will blow your fucking mind. Like it's that's just what it is. But um, yeah, I feel like you know it's one of those things. Heavily anticipated. We'll see how it comes. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it, but I know there's going to be the the people who are disappointed. When you saw the live version of Stinkfest, like I, I know the album version, the way that intro, it was like an electronic drum that he was. He was pitch shifting with like a foot pedal or something. Hmm. Is that what he did live, or did you see how they did that live? That little boom, yeah. I, I think that it was Danny Carey still doing it. He's got these pads called 
uh, Mandala's is a company called Synesthesia. It's really hard to say. Uh, but basically, yeah, they build mandala. these custom mandalas yes. that are MIDI mappable, controllable. And uh, yeah. There it is. He's got some customs with the cool symbols on them. Hey, I got to take another piece. Sorry, one second. Symbol like this. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's just a, uh, it's a phone sacred... charger. Oh, that's a phone charger? <laughs> yeah. With some sacred geometry on it? Yeah, you put your phone on, it starts glowing. That's badass. Okay, one yeah. second. I'm going to go pee. Right. How's the social media? Just Or that Tinder. Yeah. You're just getting all, those, getting all those matches, baby? Getting all that love. <laughs> uh, it's stressful to keep up with, to be honest. Are you uh, social media. I, you had a, you still got a girlfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep, so she's yeah. just upstairs. You're not doing the Tinder thing, or are you? No, no. I don't window shop, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. Stay yeah. focused. Man, my life's far too busy for any of that. Yeah. You've been, been a, you've been with her for a while, it seems like. Like a couple yeah. years, right? Yeah, just over a year. Just over a year? Mm-hmm. Sweet, man. And is it you and your brother and her in the house? Yep. Nice. Yeah, we got almost five bedrooms in this piece. That's a Only big house. Only have two of them filled. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Are you going to get any other people? What? Is that White Claw? That you were drinking? No. No, dude. <laughs> no. What are you talking about? <laughs> dude, everyone's, nice. been, everyone's been giving me so much shit about White Claw. But you know what? I've decided I don't care. I'm going to embrace the White Claw. Here's I've never why. tried it, man. Okay. I love beer. I, I Look, I'll just admit right now. Yes, I'm a bitch. But I don't normally drink bitchy beer. What happened is, is the L store, if you don't live, if you're in Utah, you know, if you're not in Utah, it's state regulated, it closes at 7. I always decide I want to drink after 7. It's like I'll come home for like, if I decide I want to drink or play a game or do a podcast or whatever, it's like the L store is always closed by the time I think about it. I never think ahead in time. So then all my only, my only options are the grocery store, which is like 3.2% beers. And I love Asahi's, I love Sapporo. And I love Kiwi and the Japanese beers. Like, I love all three of those. There's some, definitely some cool stuff, local breweries like Polygamy Porter. But because I'm, I'm like 200, I'm 205 right now, probably like the biggest I've ever been. Just getting jacked and fat. I have to drink quite a bit. And when I, like, five, six beers in, I get like really, oh, like the foam. And I feel uncomfortable and I don't like it. White Claw's like just water. Like sparkling water with some alcohol in it. So I can drink three or four of those and uh, I don't get that same, like I can't bend over. I feel, I don't feel uncomfortable. Like the point of getting drunk is to feel nice and good. Mm. And if you feel drunk, but then uh, you're also uncomfortable, it kind of like they cancel each other out. That's my justification for drinking White Claw. I know that everyone's been talking shit on White Claw, but whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. It's funny because I've never tried one and I've only ever seen these posts recently and these memes and stuff. And that's yes. the only reason I knew what it looked like. So I, I, was like <laughs> huh. I knew that's why. It's because that one, there's that one like comedian dude. He does like, he does like a skit like guys named Kyle and he's a douchebag. He just like does douchebag skits and one of his skits is this White Claw, guys that drink White Claw skit and it went viral. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, whatever. 
I had, a, I had a, I've had a couple of guests. So I also will have them in the studio when people come to do a podcast in the studio. I'll have like try to have like beer and some white claw, and I'll usually have some like weed if they want to smoke weed. And a lot of people have like been hesitant with the white claw, but I'm telling you, when they try it, they're like, "Oh, damn, okay, this is." Do- I see what's going on here. It's not. It's really tasty. If you don't like the taste of beer, my wife will drink these. Her friends will drink these, but they're not sugary like a Smirnoff where you get sick. Like if you try to mm. get drunk on Smirnoff, you're gonna puke your ass off. It's not yeah. gonna happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's my excuse. Thanks for calling me out, though. I'm gonna have another sip. <laughs> hey, man. Make sure the logo is, is visible. Yes. You. Give me a sponsorship, White Claw. Give me a sponsorship, babe. Hook oh, this I, I man get up. My camera. Look at Hook this. Hook this man up. Give me. Give me some more mango. <laughs> Hell so did, yeah! Did you get into uh, PS3 after that, or did you do Xbox at all? Yeah, yeah. So PS3 for sure. Uh, I did have my Xbox days though, and I think that it's worth noting because I got to a point where I was almost good enough to do Halo Two content like competitions. You know that that was the very first part of my life where I was like, you know, I think I might be good enough at this that I should go and try out for it, and I never actually did. But I was for a but long you got, time. You went deep down the Halo 2 rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Like the online play, getting the stats, making sure everything was on point, as many yeah, headshots yeah. as possible, headshots with every single gun. Uh, it got it got to a point where I was like skipping school <laughs> so I could stay home and be online on Halo 2. And I would play against everybody. And I would challenge all my friends and everybody I went to school with and yeah, and so those were some good days. And I definitely I have to give some props to the Xbox for that. Uh, Did you but, mod your Xbox? Because that, in my time, was the most popular console to hack with the hmm. with the soldering. I had two friends that so I, I had a friend that would mod Xboxes, and he'd do a hard mod with some sort of chip. He'd solder in the front that would kind of stick out, and then you could basically it was like a dual boot. You could boot to regular Xbox OS to play Xbox games, and you could play online. Or you could boot to like some other homebrew OS. Then you would have PS One, Sega, Super Nintendo, and like all the emulators known to mankind. And so I thought, like, oh, if you were if you were hacking other consoles, you must have hacked the Xbox. That one I did not hack. Uh, you know, uh, I think by that age I was I was pretty much sold on using PC. You know, so uh, for that little time period before I ever went to PS Three, I played a lot of Xbox. Uh, played a lot of Halo 2, and the thing that probably took most of my life energy, uh, World of Warcraft. Oh, you're another World of Warcraft guy. Yes. Yeah, back in the day, like when it was super hard, it was the vanilla version, they call it now. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely slept a lot of school for that. I probably missed most of sophomore year in high school, uh, you know. Just leveling up my warlock. Yeah, there's a lot of people. All the way to level 60. I'm surprised because that's another one of those things where my experience doesn't seem to add up with a lot of people I've interviewed is the MMO stuff is never – it never – I tried it, but for whatever reason didn't hook me, didn't hit my Mm. brain right to get me going on. But quite a – I would say at least half the people I've interviewed thus far. You're number 12, so like six people. It's not that many, but a lot of them got – deep into World of Warcraft for a long time. What I've noticed is 
but didn't it didn't like ruin their life. They they got into it between a year and two years, and then they and then they pieced, decided to right. part ways. But when they were into it, they were into it. It was everything. Yeah, that how it was for you. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I definitely stopped playing it for a good long time, um, and they would always like release another expansion that like hooks you yeah. back in. So I played the first one for a long time back back when it was really hard, you know, and you were doing these forty man raids, and you had to be there, you know. If somebody was missing from the raid, it just messed everything up. So, you know, it was a real commitment, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But thinking back on it. All that shit that we had to work to do just became nothing, uh, you know, as they released expansions. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, I can just walk into a place and get a thing. I don't have to have a group, you know. And it's, so, yeah. So it yeah. makes you feel a little invalidated. Like you're not, re- you're not really rewarded for going deep into the game above and beyond. Because later, it just becomes sort of easy stuff. Like, Gets nerfed. Yeah. yeah for example... Uh, there was one particular mission. If you're a warlock and you want to get your epic horse, you have to go through this whole mission. You have to spend a whole lot of gold. And one piece of gold back then took a long time to get that one piece of gold. So I had to have like 300 of them. Uh, I had to have my whole guild help me out. Took us like three tries. Took us like half a day. And I finally get my horse. Nowadays, you just walk up to a guy and you talk to him. He gives you the horse. So The same horse? Is- the same horse yeah. with the same stats and the same... Same exact thing. Yeah, so that was one of those things. But I would say that uh, it, it definitely it helped me to kind of learn online play and learning, you know, to communicate. And That was the yeah. first time I ever actually had to, like, really use my mic. I would definitely use it in Halo, but using the mic in World of Warcraft was, like, part of the strategy. You couldn't yeah. be in a raid and be in a guild without it. And so definitely opened up a whole new world to me and I, I give it a lot of credit it's still one of the best made games i would say exist that's why it's still going today sweet so any other games on pc during this time because we haven't really touched on any pc games man yeah i mean uh gotta always give my props to to the normal warcraft you know and that that whole series played a lot of warcraft one warcraft two uh, warcraft three which it's awesome they're remaking that. It's coming out at the end of this year. The remaster. Did you see the World of the Warcraft movie? I did. I liked I it. Did. I don't know about you. I liked it I, too. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was I liked awesome. it. I feel like uh, they should keep going with that. You know, yeah. that that was their first swing at anything, and that if there's a team who can make that shit happen, it's Blizzard. I what, what I want them to do is CGI movies like Warcraft, or I don't know if you saw uh, Alita Battle Angel. I haven't yet. It's I hear really it's good. good. It's really good. Um, if you liked Warcraft, you'll like that. I mean, there's some cheesy... It's a strong movie, not perfect. But both of those, what really is jarring to me is... Like, in Warcraft, more than half the movie is CGI. So hmm. why are we... If it's, why are we doing real-life actors trying to mix them with CGI? Just, right. do, just do the whole thing in CGI. It would be better. Have you seen uh, Final Fantasy XV Kingsglaive? Like, the prequel? I haven't. Oh my god! Like as far as CGI quality, graphics, and action, best CGI. I mean, there might be something new that's come out that I haven't seen yet. But in my knowledge, mm-hmm. like, the, like it's so close, and there's no live action actors. And because of that, you don't get these weird scenes where they're like they have a live action actor trying to interact with a CG actor on a CGI background, and like 
you can kind of see the, the the magic sort of gets lost. Where for me, right. War, Warcraft, the scenes that were all CGI with all orcs and orcs talking to each other and orcs interacting with each other, it felt like seamless. It felt great. It's only when you bring in these live. And the same thing with Alita is that they would have just. She's all CGI and she's amazing and she's believable. And you believe it until you see her interact with a real actor. And mm-hmm. then it, it kind of breaks down. But the seat, like, anyway, I hope that they sort of just come out like Final Fantasy XV Kingsglaive, which you should see. I think you can watch it online for free. It's like a prequel to Final If you want to get back into Final Fantasy XV, you can watch that to sort of help prep for the lore of the game. But hmm. if you're just a fan of CGI, and, and you should check that out. Uh, or, yeah. yeah. The Warcraft movie, I loved the the, uh, the the main bad guy, the sorcerer that was like sacrificing people and sucking other souls up to open the. I just it's cool. I liked it. Yep, and it goes back to some of the the Warcraft one story, I believe. Yes, uh, and so that that's the I think the thing about Blizzard that they really did a good job of. Maybe I would say in contrast to Kingdom Hearts is. Uh, maybe the maybe the Kingdom Hearts story is consistent if you watch every single thing. I don't know that. I don't know if I could ever watch every single thing. It's a bunch but... of bullshit. I'm going to put my money on that. I don't know well, for the sure War... either. But yeah, the Warcraft at least story uh, uh, all the way through, even more of the Warcraft, it's all pretty consistent. There's a there's a really good storyline happening there, and there's a lot of stuff that goes down uh, in the timeline of things. So that's that's something I really liked about it, and. Yeah, I hope there's another Warcraft movie. It seemed like they ended it kind of leading to leading uh, there to being a possibility. One. I yeah. don't know if it – the real question is if it made money. If it lost a bunch of money, probably not going to be another movie. Right. May, let's see. Let's Warcraft, Warcraft movie um, performance, I guess I could say. Yeah. Or revenue. Let's do revenue. Revenue. It says it grossed forty-seven million in the U.S., three hundred eighty-six million, a total of four hundred and thirty-three. It's one hundred and six. Oh yeah, it made a shit ton of money. Hundred sixty dollars million budget made four hundred thirty-three. Oh yeah. Oh wait, no. Hollywood Reporter: The film needed to earn four hundred. That doesn't make sense. It says given its one hundred and sixty million net production budget. The Hollywood Reporter reported the film needed to earn at least $450 million to break even. I don't get that. $160 hmm. million dollar net production, but it needs to make $450 million to break even, and it ended up making $433. Hmm. I don't get it. Sounds like maybe there's not going to be another one, which is too bad. Yeah. Well, they'll probably come back to it one day. Yeah, they'll, they'll Either way, though. resurrect it. Maybe along yeah. with another. There's going to be a new Warcraft. There has to be a new Warcraft. But definitely. There's definitely going to be. Did you get into StarCraft at the same time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. StarCraft, uh, like I was saying earlier, first game I ever hacked, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, got real competitive online with that one. Same with Warcraft 3, yeah, where I would actually create new accounts just so I could have a clean run. And whenever yeah. I would lose a match, I would just start the account over again. That way you can stay up in the in the competition have you you've uh, met you've met audio treats right a couple of times yeah yeah so he was got way into starcraft and what i thought was pretty gangster about him is he would uh he when he would beat people 
he would quit. Like he like when he's about to beat them, like everything was getting destroyed, he would quit so uh, they would get the win. Hmm. But he would say, "Good game," like something, something, something. Like you, this is where you made a mistake. Then he'd quit and take the loss. So his record was like all losses. But then, so when people played him, they they would think that he sucks. Hmm. And then he would demolish them. And then I'm like, that's actually that's a pretty cool little strategy. Like that's that's a kind of, like that's cool that video games taught you this sort of like multi level deception strategy hmm. to win games and it's also kind of kind of it's got a little bit of swag to it like you know what i don't need it on my record you can right. have to win but you know that i beat you yeah that you know i'm not even surprised about that that sounds him. like something you know, he would he just do seems like that kind of dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's really cool and there's a there's a level of humility that comes with that that you have to take mad respect for it because you know it's nothing like beating somebody and then owning it <laughs> I've always thought a collab between you guys would be interesting. Definitely. It would definitely yeah, be very interesting. I am game. In fact, that, that remix I did of one of his tracks way back when. Oh, I do. Yeah, we a did a remix album for him. And you were on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's still making tunes. Um, he's, he's playing in some bands. He's playing more guitar. But he's still making tunes. He's got that live. He's got a killer drummer that plays with him live. His name's Ronnie Strauss. He's in hmm. uh, a local band. Ah, oh, what are they called? They all where they like wear white shirts and they make sort of like sexy funk, love making music. Damn, I can't. Hmm. Really, I'm sorry, Ronnie, if you listen to this, you're a badass. You're really good at drums. Uh, keep playing with Hayne. He's in a bunch of bands. He's also in like he plays with Joshua James. Probably, in my opinion, one of the best drummers in the state. And hmm. uh, so, if you ever ch- get a chance to see Audio Trees perform with him. That it will make you uh, get inspired to play more drums. He's fucking good. Hell yeah, yeah, he's badass. When you play live, you do the V drums, right? Not a acoustic set. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the new set that I've got here is like a Roland TK twenty five, I believe twenty five hundred. And yeah, it's it's pretty dope in the way that it is. there's absolutely no latency going into Ableton, so I can. Pretty much just play right directly in, whether that's sample based or using the drum brain that it has. When you play, are you using your own samples or the V drum samples? Uh, last time I did the the V drum samples, uh, but the thing is, you can tune them, so I can actually like ah, pitch, change tune pitch, change volume. Song. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, there's some things that I was able to do with that for the first show that I'll I'll bring back. But I also want to lay your sounds on top of the drums. So now I'm not just playing drums; I'm playing the entire arrangement yeah. so yeah that's the idea Dude, i need to when's your next i need to when's the next show when you're gonna have drums do you know uh it's a good question uh i would like to at one of these upcoming shows with one of the headliners i'm playing with and i'm feeling like the best opportunity for me to do that might be at random rap uh ill gates already does a little bit of a kind of a live drum yeah. thing so does future primitive who i'm playing with this friday uh, but Random Rap's coming up October, and I think that might be a good opportunity to just test it out. I opened for him three times. He's dope as shit. I don't think he'll care. I, right. I don't think there'll be an issue because he has – now, I opened for him once at – what's that place next to Sky or where Taryn used to do the, the Barrel Room bass nights? There's a club oh, right next to that. Elevate. Now Elevate, it's, uh, yes. Now it's called the, the Lake, Lake Effect. I changed from Elevate to Lake Effect. Man, I'm yep. too. Anyway, he played there and he had a like a full band set up and a ton huh. of instruments. 
And uh, because they because they knew that going in, they just let me set my drums up like kind of right in front. And then I, as soon as I was done playing, I just pulled them out, and he was already backlined. And uh, he was a really cool dude. He's uh, really cool. He's interesting because at the time he'd been doing music for like thirteen years, and he said he was barely starting to be able to play, pay his bills through touring. Hmm. And he was one of those artists that's just through sheer consistency because he has very it's not necessarily music that's going to ever chart on the radio it's you gotta you Man. gotta find your audience but through just sheer dedication he stacked all his releases over time and he talked about that he's like i still get things i released 50, you know 10 years ago are still getting downloaded and i'm still getting revenue from them and they it obviously decreases over time Man. but i remember him telling me everything you stack is going to build up like even, some people make it quicker some people obviously I didn't listen to him i bailed but whatever i think he had the right the right mindset it's like you just have to be consistent and some people it's going to work out with quicker but if you stick with it long enough you're eventually going to get somewhere right you can't not get somewhere yeah i think that part of that is you know, not to get all philosophical with it, but if you're living your life and your life is music, then, you know, eventually you're going to probably do something with that music. And even if you don't, does that matter? Because you're living your life. You know, you've done exactly what you wanted the whole time. Uh, yeah, that's kind true. of how I see it. You know, I've, while I've been doing this whole music venture, I've gone from, oh, back when you signed me to Damson, it was what chipotle at that time i was like a manager i do remember chipotle you were yeah you were managing chipotle yeah i was busting ass i was working 60 hours a week 65 hours a week easily just doing everything i could uh in between to make music and to keep it going and through the years i've gone through so many changes uh and now to doing what i'm doing uh helping with operations at my company and still working on music in between i've realized it's more of a lifestyle you know, yeah. whether I make it or not is all just in between the lines. It's it's more to do with what I've been doing everything I want. And I get to kind of spoil myself with, with the way I live. That's how um, I feel. It's like I, I sort of took a similar path when um, I stepped back from Damson. And, and uh, it's like, oh, I need to figure out. I, I remember having a moment where I had, I think it was actually might have been random rap or Polish. I think I made good money opening for Polish the second time at Park City Live. But I remember like, okay, yeah, I got like 600 bucks or 700 bucks for this show. That was 30 minutes of playtime. But if I think about all the money and the time I've spent to get here, I'm making, and I was married at the time, it's like I'm making like six bucks an hour. If I, if I factor in all the production time, I'm like, ah, I just don't know what to do. So I, I, I think I went about it the wrong way. If, if you're, I talked about this last night with Chase, who's an aspiring concept artist. And like you can't stop. Like you, that's one of my biggest regrets. Is I have a bunch of new music coming out, and I'll be able to pick it back up. But you can't completely stop. Right. That's just you. Just can't. Like that's like, like the worst. Yes, I completely stopped, and now I have like my own company, and, and this podcast is awesome. I have the freedom to do this podcast. But the momentum and like the Omar calls it. Omar, if you don't know, he's been on the podcast too. For those listening, he started Damson with me. Really good friends with. Uh, Derek as well. We were all homies. He read a book called The Compound Effect, which is the same idea as as things stack, you get you get more return on investment. The more so, like if you put out ten songs a month, 
every year for 12 years, on the 12th year, those 10 songs are going to get you more momentum than they did on the first year. It's mm. not like a... Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think... I see that with you, because, like, you, uh, you've just stayed really, really, really consistent, and now I've noticed... I mean, I don't know... It seems like, from my outside perspective, you're getting more shows with better opening slots than I've ever seen you get. Yeah, I feel like uh, definitely... There was a moment when I, I... I don't think I ever stopped, but I just stopped releasing music. I stopped putting it out to the world at all. Yes, like, that's what I did. Yeah, I went in the cave that. completely. Yeah, and uh, and it's one of those things where you know bringing it back out and, and then all of a sudden presenting it in a different way, uh, it, it kind of relit the fire definitely. And I, I just played a, the uh, the right series of shows for the right people, and all of a sudden I was kind of uh, back, you know, in, in full effect. And it's been really interesting this last year, two years, maybe three years now. Um, it hasn't been so much about the releasing of music, but the live show that's really been putting me, you know, out there in front of people. People still tend to listen when I put out tracks on Facebook or whatever, but uh, what they don't realize is that when I'm playing live, all of that is me, you know? So there's so much of it that you just don't hear because I don't put it on SoundCloud. I would say yes, it's, yeah. it's it's like 60, 70% of my set is, is not even public. So yeah, it's just one of those things. You got to keep driving on both ends of it and pushing it and, you know, yeah, but it's been good. Definitely a lot of good bookings lately. I'm very grateful for this year and the, the traction that I've had. Uh, I'm going to go pee one more time, then let's kind of like catch up on what you're doing with music. Kind of give some shout-outs there, and then uh, we can wrap it up. It's already uh, eight. How how long have we been going? We're coming up on two two hours. Yeah, that's pretty good. I've been trying to keep them between two and three. So Hell yeah. Let's go. I'm going to – the one problem with White Claw is because it's not beer. It's just water, like – sparkling water do you have to like i can drink like eight beers and have to pee twice i drink every two white claws i'm gonna have to tr pee twice basically one problem but <laughs> one for one <laughs> one for one basically oh yeah dude i just had a great memory i wanted to bring up what's that so, well two great memories so i remember when damson first started We'd go hang out Drix's house. I don't think he lives there anymore. Yeah. He had, he had that, like, shed in the back full of graffiti in that basement. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember, like, at the time, my wife was still super, super Mormon. And I had to, like, keep smoking weed on the DL. And hanging out, <laughs> and hanging out with you guys was, like, the only place I could drink and smoke and, like, be chill about it. And just talking about video. And remember we, I remember you telling me about Aphyxia. And the Zelda remix and making games and just catching up with all of you guys. Some of my favorite, favorite memories is hanging out in that basement with, like, the whole uh -huh. crew. Some really good times. And then you and Dallin and Robo Rob went on the damn bass tour. Yeah. And I remember being so jealous because I was like, man, I couldn't go. And I was like, damn it. Like, I knew it was going to be small clubs and it would be hit and miss as far as crowd goes. But I knew you guys were going to have a blast. And I was so jealous that I couldn't go yeah. on that tour. Man, yeah, that was uh, definitely one of the best uh, musical experiences I've had. You know, there's uh, not words can't put into uh, uh, perspective how going out on the road like that, actually kind of making yourself a little vulnerable, staying yeah. in play people's houses and all kinds of things. It, it just makes you realize, you know, it's a, 
it's not an easy life to live. The people who do that year round all the time. Yeah. That's just a, it's a crazy thing, but the people that you meet make it so worth it. And you make friends on every single stop. And for whatever reason, when you're touring, people are that much more down to support you and uh, just join on for, to your vision. So yeah, definitely craziest times probably I've ever had. <laughs> Some what, of the, what was your uh, favorite show from that tour? Oh, man. Um, I think that probably one of the ones that uh, it's hard to say what one was like absolute favorite. I had a lot of fun playing in Dallas, for example, the people were really cool and everything, but uh, the one that was just the weirdest where I remember just looking up while I was playing and just being like, what the fuck is going (laughs) on uh, is I think we were in Houston and we were supposed to play at a venue and the venue ended up getting shut down. So the guy who was booking us, put everything together at a house. So we had this house show that we were doing and it was absurd. Like <laughs> everybody at the house was just completely drunk. We were set up just in this room set up on top of these janky like boxes. We've got our entire setup each like getting ready to play our sets. And I remember as I'm playing, I look up at one point and every single person is without a shirt, just like running around. I don't know if they were like galloping around, but they're all just like kind of prancing around the house and through the rooms and shit. It was just, it was, a, it was a good ass time, man. Uh, yeah. But yeah house parties are always the most magical parties. I mean, I've venues, small venues can be cool, but there's something about a house party and an up and coming sort of underground act. When, when you get like the two, it's just things get crazy and they get mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. It's, it's when people really cut loose that yeah. you, you get to, you get to really take people on a ride. Uh, and when you can kind of do the all night thing, it's, it's very similar, like with the, the warehouse parties and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, definitely the tour. It's a really good memory. All the, the days of damn sun when we really first started things out. Uh, I think that you deserve the biggest props, man, of the entire damn sun thing. You made that happen. And uh, you're the reason why all of us came together and made all of that what it was. Uh, and it's one of those things that we all think back to, I'm sure. You know, I don't think there's anybody from the group that uh, looks back and doesn't think of those times. It was good times. I had no idea what I was doing, unfortunately. No, you did but... good, though. You did, <laughs> you did great. You did great running it. Uh, you, you created the uh, most momentum for it. And it's it's unfortunate to see some of the stuff that uh, you put together come down, like the the compilation albums and stuff. I know the one even with Closey was getting a ton of play, and uh, yeah, it's all gone. I, I actually it's all so gone. I messaged uh, Jorge. I think it's pronounced Jorge. Sorry, Jorge, if you ever hear this, uh, the guy, the head, the lead guy, the CEO of Symphonic. So I got taken down because um, Omar didn't want to deal like people. It's like he didn't know how to handle all like every. It's been disbanded. So when people were coming asking for royalties, like, well, I'm not getting anything. We never made any money. Um, but like sim- the deal we had with Symphonic in the beginning was like it was free distribution, but we'd only get paid out if we hit like a certain number per month or something, and we like never hit it. And then like Philip Busta was hitting him up about like royalties from the remix album, and he hit me up. I'm like, I don't know. I haven't been involved. So he just like, you know what, to make things clean, we'll just take it all down and you guys can put it back up on your own. But the sucky mm-hmm. thing is we lost the compilation albums, which is what I spent a lot of time working on. 
Time um, and money, yeah. Yeah, so it's okay, though. I mean, those songs are still, like, I mean, anyone could upload their remix now and do it on their own and redistribute it and or put it on Bandcamp or something. And I, I emailed him about it, and he just basically said, like, yeah, you guys can, like, re-upload them. Each artist could re-upload them on their own with their own IRSC is the code, he said. I don't, I don't know how all that stuff works. Um, right. But if you wanted to re- do any of those tracks that were all with Damson, you can re like it's totally free to redistribute on your own now. Yeah, yeah, no, I've thought about it for sure. I think it has more to do with like there's years worth of streams, you know what I mean? And yes, the, yeah, those don't ever come back. They don't but. come back. Yeah, and uh, whatever. It is what it is. It's like I'm glad that I I'm glad that we went for it. Um, I do. Mm-hmm. Re- I, I'm. I, it's hard for me to regret because my life turned out really well, and I have a great job. My own company, like my lifestyle. Like I'm super spoiled. Like I sit at home in a man cave that I love, do podcasting, and do marketing, and make music, and play video games, and talk about video games, and like, yeah, I can't complain. But sometimes I'm like, oh, if I would have stuck with it, maybe things. Would, I don't know. You can't think like that. And you were like, definitely on your way. I mean, you were. What the very last thing that happened was what the big show with. Uh, remind me his name one more time. Uh, probably Polish. Big, was probably the biggest Polish show. ambassador. Yeah, the I think that one was his name was big. I did a yeah, show man. with uh, Break Science that was really big. Um, they they kind of didn't. They were like a Pretty Lights sort of that whole Denver based Pretty Lights thing play this course and it's not really relevant anymore it's mm. but like Clozy or Clozy, i don't know how you pronounce it sorry Clozy. she's one of the ones that we worked with her in gravitas recording which i think she's definitely their, their most um successful artist as far definitely. as mass appeal and she, like we were on the right track we were working with people and i i do think we had a ear for who was going to end who had the right magic to sort of end up being something. And I, I know I've told you this a million times already, but your music, like there's music that I know is going to be popular when you hear it. Like, Oh, that has mass appeal. That could be poppy, but it, but it, it may like, it's a little more formulaic. Like if you took that song and a similar artist, the two back to back, I wouldn't be able to tell you if I didn't know them from each other, but they're mm-hmm. both really popular. They have a lot of, they're both, they, they hit the formula. Perfect. I have a lot of respect for people who can figure out the way to make something have mass appeal, whatever genre it is, dubstep, lo-fi, chill, trap, like all of those genres have a sort of formula that has the maximum mass appeal, things that trend. Right. And, and then, then there's also another route that you can take in the music world, in my opinion, which is the like creating really dedicated fans, creating a sound that is super unique and when I hear a Tool song or when I hear a Decay De- 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 song or who else do I think is like, when I hear an X and G song, even though I've not heard it, I know it's them immediately. Because mm-hmm. there's only one place you can get that sort of unique concoction of elements come together. And, and like I talk about with yours, like I always felt like, man, yeah, you make dubstep, but it's like there's no one else that makes dubstep like you, mm. in my opinion. And I've tried. I've tried looking because you. I've tried finding people like you. It's really, really hard. I've tried finding people like X and G because I like their music. It's really, really hard. 
And uh, I think that's I, – I like that a little bit more. But the problem with that path, it takes longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at X and G. They've been doing really well for a long time, but they're still climbing. Like mm-hmm. They have these milestones that would be, for me, when I was trying to climb the ladder, would have been like dreams come true. A collab with Dogblood, a collab with Skrillex, a release on Ausla, all these like touring with this people, playing these festivals. Right. But – at the end of the day, like they're still they're still struggling. Like being a music producer, man. Aside from maybe making video games, like making an indie video game, or being a professional sports player, like it's a hard man. That's a hard path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, something that you have to kind of decide really early on is how big do you care to be. You know, is it does yeah. it matter to you to to be in front of you know a main stage at UC? you know, playing there, or would you prefer to play to the people who are going to be at the stage that you'd be at? You know, if yeah, you were a good at a point. show like yeah. that. And I, I, always, and, I always have these conversations with people about, like, it's interesting. Sometimes people can't understand why, like, oh, I'm really, really, like, I love animals as leaders. I don't know if you listen to animals as leaders. Oh, yeah. And I, people, I show it to other people, and, like, this is garbage, like it doesn't have mass appeal, but there are certain people who love it and live and breathe and die. I'm not a hardcore fan, but I have I go to see them when they come when they come through most of the time. Oh yeah, and I think that's it's... that's a very good distinction. Do you want to be the people on the main stage, or do you want to be the people that you go and see? And if you're the type of person that's going and seeing that has a little bit more eclectic taste or a little bit more nuanced taste. You'll never be, in my opinion, satisfied. Well, I don't know. Because when lots of people like your song, it feels good. When a huge mm-hmm. crowd, like, so it's, I don't know. It sixes to me. Yeah. It's one of those things you just have to realize what crowd you belong in. And I've always come to kind of find that for me, I do much better when I'm in a place where I can play to a little of both. Like somebody who's kind of part from the rave scene, but then somebody who's, not really so much raver, but more of like a burner, you know? Yeah, and when yeah. I find that happy medium, all of a sudden everything just clicks and it works amazing. Uh, but everybody has hit or miss shows. Everybody plays for crowds that are not going to, to jive to the sound. So it's just what it is. Uh, but definitely there is a, there's something to be said about, you know, the, the taste that Damson had when we started things out, the, the uh, energy that it had. And, uh, it, it it led to a lot of what has happened today, so you got to take a lot of credit for that part. Yeah, that's one thing that I, really I cool. take a little solace in. It's like, well, at the very least, I helped everyone get a little bit of momentum on their own that, that translated to their, you know, it's not like when Damson started pulling back. It's like you guys still were able to carry some of that momentum on to whatever your next, the next phase was. That feels pretty Definitely. good. I had Omar on the podcast semi-recently, and he had the same mindset. He's like, you know what? We were so worried about making it that we should have just – we were already doing the right things. We just need to do it. We just needed to do it for longer and quit trying to change things and figure out, like, how can we make this work now? No, you need to understand what we're trying to build. There's no quick, there's no quick way to do what we wanted. And right. we we're already doing the right thing, and we already had the momentum, but there's just so much pressure Anyway, we were young, and it's like it's unfortunate, but he has he's he feels the same way. It's like we were doing all the right things. If we would have just kept doing what we were doing. Um, it would have worked out, but 
I suppose that's just uh, the way life life is, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, no, I have no regrets. I feel like the uh, way that things have happened over the years has been pretty awesome. How did uh, I? How did I find you originally? I remember uh, how I. How did I come across you? It's crazy. I think that uh, we had probably become friends on Facebook, and I, I was posting some stuff, and I don't know if that was through Dallin, but I think Dallin was the first person to sign. But you had already messaged me on SoundCloud and stuff, and you're just like, hey, I'm doing this damn sun thing. I really like like your music. And I was like, well, check these things out. These are a couple of tracks that I've been working on. I've never really posted. Uh, and then you're just like, yeah, dude, these ones. And it was what ended up being Castles and Kingdoms, my ah, first ever yes. actual release of any kind. Like literally everything else I had ever posted was a work in progress. You had tracks. one song in particular on Castles and Kingdoms. What was it called? I think you know what it is. It was like right now. Right now, that one, that one, yeah. uh, that man, that main hook was so catchy. Yeah, and so I I had sent you those, and we ended up putting those together and and released the little EP, and it was for me uh, definitely like a an interesting thing because I was never making that music to ever release it or to play shows with. Uh, and so that gave me the inspiration to actually push that and maybe pursue it a little bit. And it led to what it is today. That's so good. that was really cool. That makes me happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Otherwise I think I would have just kept making music for me and my friends and probably wouldn't have ever really tried to put it out there or ever even play a show. It did have an interesting effect though. Cause playing these shows, I started getting tied into the whole, uh, scene of like, there's these, there's DJs out there and there's, there's, all these DJs competing against each other. And I've never even called myself a DJ in all of these years. Yeah, we, I, I don't claim both, to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't claim to do that. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not like a tastemaker. I don't download a lot of music and, you know, try and play it for people. I definitely know what I like. Uh, but whenever I've been on stage, it's all about just trying to do something with the music that I've made that inspires people. And so it's, it's a really crazy honor uh, after all these years to still be able to do that. Never really played a, a set where I play music other than my own in all these years. And yeah, I had the same I had the same thing happen and it would the things were a little bit weird when we started Damson like the the DJ thing was still sort of new. Not everybody was a DJ and I don't think nope. people didn't quite realize what how low the barrier of entry was to just to be a DJ. And there was a lot of really good DJs that were sort of dominating the scene. I remember playing a show at the project. Do you remember the project? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, shout out to Evan Moore. He still does the project. They have like a whole new building and an amazing studio. He's doing a bunch of video stuff. But I remember when he started the project, we did a show. And uh, I don't even remember the DJ's name. But I remember he was locally like a really well-known DJ. And I had never – I had played like two shows at that point. And at the time, I didn't quite know how to set Ableton up to like trigger um, – well, my first album I made all in the tab view. Hmm. And I didn't do it in the arrange view. And so I had some understanding of the tab view, but I didn't quite know how to like trigger things fully live. So I would arrange things in tab view. And I had a little bit of like flexibility, but really in order for everything to go smoothly, I had to go in order. Like I kind of figured hmm. out how to put everything together like Lego blocks on the tab view. Hmm. And especially because some of them were um, like mashups. Me and, oh, me and Omar did that mashup album. 
So I'd Man. play those, and I had to get things to launch at the right time, where I would just take the whole track that we produced in the mashup and just launch that and play with effects, and then sort of work work on the transition in between the two songs. And it was it was like obvious I'm not spinning on records. And I remember a kid coming up to me, and he's like, "Is your set prearranged?" And I was like, "Yeah, basically." And he's like, "You're shame. Like, it's a shame that like you're a disgrace to DJs." And I said. Yeah, but I'm not a DJ. I've never DJed in my life. Like, I don't. What do you mean? Those are all original tracks. He's like, oh, those are all original. I'm like, yeah, every one of those tracks was original. I'm just playing my music, man. And it was that. That was like, and this happened a bunch, but that was one in particular moment where he just kind of sat there speechless. And now everybody produces. It's not even like it's a totally. But at the time, that was like there was this distinct line between. DJs and producers, and now it's really just one and the same. And I, I just remember that really bothering me. Like, hey man, I don't, I don't even claim to be a DJ. Did you see yeah. tables up there? Did you see CDJs? No, right. I'm not. I'm not DJing. So what are you sweating before? Yeah, no, I, I would tell you that part of that hasn't changed. Yeah, there's a lot of producers here, uh, but definitely there's not a lot of people who are playing their productions. Uh, that's that's I think the key difference is it's it's easy to download the biggest craziest bangers and play those and you know it, te- it would take me a couple minutes to to go on the website and find it and download it and put it in my set but to recreate that yourself to make something that has the same amount of power and then play that in front of people is a whole another ball sure. game that takes a lot of time and so people don't do it uh, you know people definitely produce but when they play live they they just kind of DJ still and. That's fine. It's all good and good and dandy, but I think that it's about time to to push the boundary a little bit and start actually putting out sounds. Throw in some of your own tracks. You know what I mean? Well, why? Like, it'd nah. be it'd be a shame not to if people are seeing there, they know your name and you're. Because I always had the fear of like, well, if I play other tracks that are awesome, and they they look me up, they're not going to be able to find that track on my SoundCloud. Right. Like, right. I so if I want to win fans, I need to play my music. And if they like it, then they're going to go to my SoundCloud or my Bandcamp or my Spotify, and they're going to like what they hear because that's what got them interested. Um, right. I did towards the end would work in. There's one set, like the last two sets I I played, I worked in a few tracks that I felt like were the fit with mine, or I would work on a mashup. It's like, oh, my track really matches up well with this track, and I can like A B slide between the two of them and sort of make something quote-unquote it's not really live but like i can do eight bars from his track eight bar from my track back and forth and it makes something new that you wouldn't be able to hear i don't mind that like i know x and g plays like 60 40 60 percent their own tracks 40 percent right. other ones i don't have a problem with that but when you see an x and g set you're going to be able to hear x and g songs oh, yeah. it, it is kind of weird if someone produces and they don't drop any of their own music that is that's a little weird because if they if they like what they hear they're going to look you up and they're not going to find anything that they heard. Right. And you're not, you're not going to capture a fan. You would think that, but I think that what it comes down to is that the scene is still so much in its infancy, believe it or not, that uh, people here don't actually know the difference, you know? And so they think that everybody that's on stage is actually creating everything that they're hearing and they don't really look into it or try and dig deeper. The people who know, know, and the people who don't, just kind of go with it. It is what it is. I wouldn't expect that because electronic music has been so big in America for so long now. 
Yeah. I think, I think this is a Utah thing. I, I think that definitely when you go to other places, you're going to get some of the same, but uh, here, what I've definitely come to notice is that people get the hype no matter what, because it has more to do with the, the person being on stage than it does w- what they're doing when they're yeah, on stage. That's true. And, and that's, that's not to sound jaded or anything like that. I've been really lucky to be able to do what I do and still play ball. You know what I mean? It's just a different game of ball that I'm playing. And I don't think people have fully grasped that fact just yet. Who's, uh, who's putting on a lot of the base shows now that Taryn's gone? Uh, Biggest one, I would say, as far as the underground side, is Immunity. Okay, uh, so Brandon Sarahan, whatever his name uh, is. Immunity uh, Moons, yeah, yeah. Omar. Uh, Omar. So Omar, Omar's bringing some of the best on the underground side, for sure. and uh, Has been for a couple years now. Uh, and then I think that as far as everything else base goes, you get the occasional smoke signal shows nowadays. And the, the B2 shows are starting to get a little bit more bass centric you're starting to see these energy wednesdays with artists that we really all want to see like wakan coming soon uh so it's cool i heard that the last dos energy didn't do that well is that i don't know i I feel like they're all usually pretty yeah they're pretty much always pretty solid it's like yeah it's like we're talking about it's It's the biggest show we can huge yeah it's the biggest show we can go to in this state really but what it comes down to is now we've got the choice between you know, the there is there's definitely a separation if you notice like the younger crowd is now into this whole rhythm thing and everybody's rhythm, yeah. uh everybody's head banging. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh but it's uh it's not very deep and there's not that much connection occurring. Definitely there's people making friends, but I think there's a lot more people getting fucked up and uh just kind of being careless. And then who you are, see the uh, other side. Who are base artists right now that are sort of that you're into? That you're t- drawing inspiration from? Uh, it's a good question, man. I think that these days I still have pretty much the same inspirations as I've had before, uh, like Cone Sound, uh, yeah. especially with that last album release. That, that shit is just mind-blowing, and I think it takes the exact right steps that you need to take to make it, make music really be what it can be. Uh, but definitely uh, somebody who's new who's been coming up uh, is Mersive. And he's kind of like a follow-up on the whole bass oh, nectar scene. Yes. Uh, he had a song that X and G introduced me to that is on my um, Mercy Beats. Let's look up Mercy Beats. Anyway, I don't, yeah, I have, a, I have at least two songs on my favorites list on SoundCloud from Mercy. Uh, yeah. He's awesome, from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. He, so he, you know, follows in the, the bass nectar kind of uh, – following i I believe i I would assume his his biggest inspiration is bass actor uh there's a lot of artists that are kind of obscured in that same realm that i really like uh cursa is another big one that i've been jamming a lot and cursa's got these this side project called klo i believe uh and slug wife is a group that he's a part of uh definitely worth jamming some of that stuff Uh, especially where you're sitting there in that sound treated room you should just turn it on be amazed by the sound Sweet. and you'll love the snares it's not all like super dubstep uh, yeah i know so he's, he's referencing this i i am like super anal about that sort of there's this certain snare sound that dominated bass music for it seems like years <laughs> yeah pretty much like, just like a really airy snap. and like <sighs> and i just yeah. 
And they, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old, but the older I get, the more minimal I like. It's weird because I'm a drummer, right? I want the drums to be loud and big and strong. But the older I get, the more minimal and sort of just the bare minimum that I like the music, my new album or EP that's I have a EP, like I have so many tracks that are basically done, but everything is really minimal when it comes to drums. It's like I hate that snare even more. Like now I only like to use like really fine like clicks or snaps. Like just the bare mm. minimum. I don't know why like but heavy big drums like they make my ear like ah I just I don't know. But yeah, I used to bitch to you about freaking snares all the time and mm. so yeah you know you know me too well yeah listen to some slug life listen to some slug life i think it slug, uh, slug life slug wife uh should i do slug soundcloud slug wife as a as a group slug life with the w i'll link it to you send me a link in the in the chat Shout out to Slug Life. We're talking about you. Hopefully, people check your shit out. Slug Life, like your oh, wife. Oh, Slug Life, not Life. <laughs> there you go. What are genres? Can we eat them? Yes, you can. Let's uh, let me just preview one real. Do quick. I like slugs? <laughs> It's like juke. Yeah, go through their SoundCloud. Let me know what you think. Damn, yeah, they've yeah. been a big inspiration for sure lately. Uh, Conrank, all those guys played down in uh, in Mexico when I went to see Bass Nectar, uh, and that was a just an incredible experience being in Mexico, like literally standing in the ocean watching Bass Nectar play at the same time. Like oh, so you were like corn. you were like in water to your knees or something? Yeah, like you, you're literally the stage is literally on like the, the beach in that venue. Yeah, it was a absurd experience, but uh, definitely a lot of the artists that were down at that really super inspiring. Glitch Mob, another yeah. one. I Ot. saw I saw Glitch Mob recently because Auto Treats opened for them, and their uh, this show is like if you don't know who Glitch Mob is. That they have a their music's awesome. Number one and two, their live shows sort of the lights and like the weird. It's basically like MIDI controllers, fancy MIDI controller setup that they have is really entertaining to watch. That speaks. Oh, oh shit! There's a guy I wanted to ask you about. Uh, he has like a MIDI controller and it's all like machined parts. It's like an arm thing and he slams forward and backwards. It's called like. Oh damn it. Um industrial midi controller custom made artist maybe yes i found it wow google is awesome oh yeah google <laughs> props i know you guys are taking over the world and you're probably going to murder us all but your author and punisher have you ever heard of author and punisher author and punisher yes i have not you're gonna love you're gonna love me because I'm gonna I, I'm gonna get the credit for introducing you to author and Punisher. All right. Um, his music by itself, like I don't know, like it's really kind of noise core industrial. But as far as his live setup, um, let me try to find because he has like a a bunch of different versions. And he has the newest version that was featured on Red Bull. 
that uh let's see if I can find that nine months ago okay so I'm gonna send you this link you can watch it later I'm sure you've already seen some stuff if you're searching around I just pulled up his website yeah send it over yeah and for those who are listening author and Punisher he's like this uh industrial doom like nine inch nails type thing but his live setup he has he like custom machines all these parts and it's all like these industrial machines that he builds himself and then makes turns them into midi controllers and so his like he has this arm thing on his right hand that he grips like a like a cannon and he pushes it forward and it's a kick and he pulls it back and it's a snare and then as he pushes and pulls it back, it, these, like, feelers run over these metal grids. And it's all, like, machine metal that he made. And that's his hi-hats. It triggers its hi-hats. It's, it's freaking crazy. Then he has, like, this mic thing that he wears on his neck that, like, picks up tones from his neck, like, on his Adam's apple and then also on his mouth. He goes, he goes all out. That looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to check this out. Yeah, and he's got these huge knobs. And what I like is he has this glide thing under these. Like, it's most when you do, like, any sort of glide synth or bend, you're, it's like you're moving, like, a full octave in, like, a, a small. Like if it's a little knob or it's, a like, a, one of those finger touch things, you're moving, like, two or three octaves in a small amount of time. He does the same thing. It's this pitch shift, but it's this long bar. So if you move it a little bit, you're moving, like, micro tones. And so you can get all these sort of like in between frequencies and really slow pitch shift, and uh, it sounds really really awesome. I think I don't I don't love his music like just listening to it by itself. It's a little too doom core, like too too noisy. I'm not into like super droney music, but mm. the combination of watching his live performances with the music, I find that really entertaining. I'm gonna have to try it. Yeah, this looks awesome. It might, it might, it, it might give you a little inspiration. Yeah, I would love to build my own controllers. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, so one last thing. I want to know what if you could make music for any video game franchise, what would it be? Ooh. Damn it. Yes. You should have you yes. should have asked me at the beginning. <laughs> so I could have had all all this I'm, time uh, to think I'm, about that. I'm bringing out the big guns. <laughs> you know, uh I think that if I could Damn it. I I'm going to say it and then I'm going to think of something even better later on. But I think uh I think Final Fantasy. I think that would be awesome. Definitely like one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the newer one is they get these moments where it's really action packed and it gets a little bit crazy, but it's still really melodic. And yeah. Almost has the space for a dirty, yet, uh, uh, beautiful kind of sound. It'd be really cool to try so and soundtrack you, something like that. If you could make music for a final fantasy, what sort of art direction and story would you want them to make to fit your style? Would it be like a sci-fi or would it be like a old school wizards? And what would you want? Wizards. You want wizards, wizards for sure. Yeah, yeah, I like I like magic. I like energy. You know, technology is really cool. But I definitely I think it would be a lot a lot cooler to be able to kind of play in the realm of, uh, uh yeah, it's like uh, it's almost almost a combination of 
you know, the magic and technology. I think of that when I think of like the pyramids and shit, because that's what those are. In, yeah. In theory. That's right? true. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah. Have you got like, into, uh, what's his face? Uh, he's the older guy. He just passed John Anthony West. His like a whole series on the mysterious Egypt and gets into like don't. sort of traditional Egyptology versus what maybe we're missing and the, just kind of breathes like he uses evidence to say, hey, we actually don't know a lot about pyramids in Egypt and maybe there was some really dope shit going on. And uh, if you like that magic and heights, like ancient civilizations that had access to things that we didn't, um, you, I think you get some inspiration from that. Because, yeah, you're, that's like a perfect right up your alley for your music. I think if you watch some of those documentaries, you'd end up making something badass. Cause you'd, yeah. I don't know if I've seen the exact one, but I've definitely done days worth, hours worth, but like literally days, no stop worth of research on pyramids and geomancy in general. Uh, yeah, pla- place- yeah. 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 And the placement of, you know, these, these objects in certain places of the earth, which coincide with certain other things, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, usually like ash stuff in the space stars. Exactly. And winter exactly. And whatever. I, I noticed you've been using Metatron's cube for a while. What is, you know, what is, what is Metatron's cube? It's a good question. It's, <laughs> it's the the symbol that stood out to me the best for alchemies and geometries. And the whole reason that you've seen that is that I pretty much took the art that had, remember I had actually Photoshopped that myself. I took that art and I superimposed it over a photo of myself and that ended up just kind of working. <laughs> and it ended up getting a lot of like, yeah. shares and, and, and attention and stuff. And, it's really just me messing around with graphics at the end of the day. You know, there wasn't any actual uh, uh, reason to choose Metatron's cube amongst other things. You know, you it just probably like, started as... It just looks cool, basically. Yeah, yeah, it probably started out as like a flower of life, and I just messed with the different shapes until I found something that really worked with the alchemies and geometries uh, uh, kind of thing, just like this thing once again. Yeah, it's yeah. got the little different... A little different... It. That looks like a full-on satanic circle. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. When you put your phone on it, the whole thing glows in sequence. Uh, uh, but, damn. yeah, it's one of those things that definitely, when it comes down to it, doing a lot of research on geometry and on how those things came to be uh, led me to, you know, some of the some of the things I'm inspired by today. All right. Well, where can people, when's your next show? Give us a breakdown of your shows coming up. I'll make sure to post links to everything when I... Actually, by the time this goes live, uh, do maybe not do shows coming up. Like I think you're early. Let's see. Today's the fifth. I have like six or seven shows ahead of you, so it's going to be at least a couple weeks before this goes live. So talk about things coming after like a week or two. Sure. Uh, shows I've got coming up. Ill Gates. Uh, it's going to be uh, Ill Gates at Soundwell. I'm really excited to be able to play with him again. He was one of my biggest. Uh, kind of teachers in the Ableton YouTube learning that I did. Uh, so that's, I believe, October 9th. Uh, and okay, then, perfect. Yep, and then Random Rab, October 18th. And uh, so, is that, is that line up? Is that proper with the dates there? I'm trying to just remember and make sure. I think it's actually October the either 11th or 12th uh, for Ill Gates. 
but yeah, those are coming up and should have some other couple things coming up before the end of the year. That should be really exciting. Uh, new, new music in the pipeline, any releases coming up? Uh, definitely. I've got an EP that's kind of on the, the verge of being released. Uh, so more details about that coming soon. Uh, just got through the first kind of month of mantra being out. So, uh, about time to do that and then yeah i've got some music in the works i'm not sure as far as release dates or anything but i'm just barely getting back to kind of putting music out on spotify and everything so sweet well that's two hours man i appreciate the time we'll have you back on again um especially talking about any recent games uh preview have you played the new god of war i have not oh you need to play that and then after you play it we should do another podcast because i can I'm talk game. about that game by itself for two hours I'm game. Hey, next time maybe I'll come over to your studio. Yeah, we can come down and let's do some. I mean, I know we we got a we have a collab coming out whenever it comes out. Just yes, whenever it comes out, it comes out. I'll make sure to post it. You should come over and hang out at the studio. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Thanks for everyone listening. I'm gonna hit the stop recording button. Adios. And that is it. If you're listening to this right now, it means you listen to the entirety of the podcast. And always, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. For the next week of the Gaming Memories Sermon, the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel shall be preached with Mike Rushforth. It's going to be a really awesome episode because Mike Rushforth is a professional commercial airline pilot who literally got his job as an airline pilot because of video games. It's a fantastic story. It was a great time talking to him. Hang out. Spread the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel. Like, share, follow, comment. Get your friends to listen. Bring them in. Get some eternal gaming salvation for all your loved ones. And until then, I will see you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.